I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Bill Fox. And we love to watch. We love to watch pledges that this is the only Zack Snyder movie we will cover. Pledged that, Peter. I mean, you can pledge anything you want. <laughs> Did we already talk about? Hold on. I feel like we had a conversation earlier this year about potentially doing Watchmen on the show. Yeah, and then I rewatched Watchmen, and I was like, I have no interest in talking about this. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, Zack Snyder became like he was one of my he was one of my guys back in 2004. Who's your top three Zack Snyder guys, Peter? Lock the gates. <laughs> Uh, uh, people you were looking at, like you were like, I, I, uh, I'm excited for their future. This, yeah, this guy makes movies I like. In the mid 2000s, Zack Snyder would definitely have been on the list. Um, Jim Mickle was one, and Neil Marshall. In the so, mid 2000s, you you had Mickle fever. Yeah, didn't he make uh when when did Mulberry Street come out? Oh, that was like 2007, I guess. Yeah. I never saw Mulberry. I, I Mickle Fever, but that was like Cold in July, which was and what uh, what we we are what we are. Is that what it is? Yeah, these these uh, mostly horror guys, but Neil Marshall, I'm still rooting for, despite uh, the fact that he made a very bad Hellboy movie. And Hellboy is one of my favorite things on the planet. Um, I, I haven't seen it. I uh, I bought it used on Blu-ray for two dollars so I could watch a bad movie on my projector. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited for that. Ever. But uh No, it's it's not yeah, but we're we love to watch. What show we're is movie this? podcast? Yeah, we're we love to watch. We're oh. movie podcast. What uh, it's also our <laughs> Yeah, Bill, we'll get to you. We announce us you just, no, no, just there. I didn't realize this was this podcast. I've got you so many other podcasts are. that I'm trying to be on. <laughs> yeah. Uh where we love to watch, we're movie podcasts, we pick a theme, and normally we do one month around that theme, but we're doing another supersized summer, so for July and August we're doing Scream Quals, which are uh, horror movie remakes. Um, or wait, screamakes. But yeah, why would we call them Scream Quals? Because <laughs> they're not. They're remakes. I considered calling it Screamix because it's more fun to say than Screamake. But um, I great actually, news. The word, the word Screamake does. The word remake does exist. So yeah, it works great. Screamakes. But I gotta tell you, if we ever do a horror sequel month. <laughs> Scream Quals is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Works not even close to as well, but clearly rolls off the tongue uh, in my mind. Maybe but yeah, the we're. Is that we now have work done in advanced for us, you know? Yeah, let's actually let's workshop a few more theme names. Not the movies. Or what we can say is that uh, this is our second week, it's our first. <laughs> Uh, it's our first normal week of the month. Uh, thank you so much if you tuned into last week, uh, or as I call it, the podcast that broke uh, Peter's brain. But we, we like a zombie, we stitch it back together, um, and we get to be like we normally are on the same side. Not just on the same side of the movies, which sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't, but just in the same side of like knowing where we're at from a hosting duty perspective. And I think that's a better dynamic for our podcast for, for most episodes, Peter. Yeah, yeah. I think knowing what we're going to do ahead of time usually is helpful. It's good with um, uh, building a bridge, making a sandwich, <laughs> um, recording a <laughs> podcast, you, you don't freestyle sandwiches? You're like, ooh, now that I'm looking at it, throw some mayonnaise on that bad boy. Sometimes I'll notice there's cheese in the fridge, but I was like, it wasn't part of the original plan. I, I don't have a what? Gantt chart for this. 
What sandwiches are you making besides peanut butter that don't have cheese in it? You're a Midwest boy. Uh, shit sandwich. <laughs> oh. You don't put cheese on your shit sandwiches? I eat pieces no. of cheese sandwich for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> it's our second week, and we're kind of doing like a mini Romero remake cluster at the beginning. It's not a full month, but we did the 1990 remake of Night Living Dead sort of last week. Uh, but now we're kind of moving into what we um, – the, what we kind of intended for this month, which is Peter and I like horror movies. We like, I think, almost all of the original movies that we're going to be talking about. Not all. Uh, or some we respect more than like. But uh, remakes uh, have gotten a little bit of a bad rap. But when it comes to horror movies, they have kind of been always a part of it. Like, there were how many mummies and Dracula and, uh, you know, movies like Frankenstein movies exist before you were born? Like, taking these tropes and, and redoing was kind of always part of uh, Hollywood culture, but especially when it came to horror movies. Um, yeah, I think, so, if I'm not mistaken, Dracula still holds the honor for the uh, character that appears in the most number of movies. What? Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me, because they were like, especially if you count Nosferatu, I mean... But we're doing, uh, yeah, the intended purpose of this month, which is to talk about horror remakes that Peter and I uh, uh, have loved, currently loved, respect, enjoy. Uh, and a lot of, some of these movies are kind of defined as, yep, well-loved. Uh, I mean, we are going to be talking about the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's kind of a, hey, this is the iconic version. Um, and there's going to be some that we're going to talk about that we're going to say, hey, nowhere near as good as the original, but still a good movie in its own right. And I think that's one of those that we're going to be talking about today, which is Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder's 2004 film debut. Uh, it, we're going to talk about it from a couple different perspectives. We're, after the music break, probably to some version of Down with the Sickness. Um, <laughs> by the way, Please. like I used to like that song. And, like, think it was cool. And this is the problem with being Which my version age. are you talking about? It's, no, like, the Disturbed. Yeah, no, like, Disturbed. It was like, yeah, that's a good song, is what I thought when it came out. Because, again, based on my age, I aged right into uh, modern rock, quote-unquote, being popular. Uh, and it was like, yeah, all these songs are great. Um, and I haven't listened to Down With The Sickness for a long time, for I feel like very obvious reasons, and that is uh, terrible. Yeah, you you had to have watched the YouTube video of like karaoke people doing the intro to Disturbed. There's like fifty of them. No, in a row and it's no, just I would people. watch. I would watch that though. Oh god! But like, it's amazing. Oh. I forgot. Like this movie, I watched to the end credits, and we'll talk about what I forgot that like that the like scatting breakdown of like love of like the disturbed song where you know he's bebopping it's just him begging his uh mom not to beat him anymore uh and i'm like jesus fucking this was just on the radio like i heard this song on the radio <laughs> um 911 man really changed everything i guess um apparently so so i, I don't want to get into the Zack snyder stuff too quickly but apparently um it, it, I, I couldn't find this source anywhere but fucking IMDb trivia. But uh, uh, he pushed really hard for both both versions of the 
um, the Get Down with Sickness, the ironic lounge singer version, which was the Richard that, Richard Cheese, right? Yeah, which was something that like uh, kind of that came, was I, I enjoyed it, came it. right before uh, the um, uh, the much worse version, which is uh, uh, cute little white girls singing uh, like ukulele covers of rap songs on YouTube. <laughs> Like that's the much worse version, but this version is also not not ideal. No, I mean the Richard Cheese Richard Cheese was kind of like weirdly popular like two thousand three, two thousand four. It was like this is hilarious. He's doing, but it was you can tell it's a, like a pre YouTube era where like like now there's just not a version where like one person could catch on with that because I could find a hundred different versions of that on YouTube probably today. So it was, uh, I do remember that being popular, but I, I'm trying, I was trying to think back. Like I really thought, think probably in 2004, like I was like, yeah, it's a, I haven't listened to that oldie in a while. It came out in 2001, but good, just good rocking disturbed song. It's, it's cute in the context it's in, in the movie. Um, I would argue the yeah. disturbed, uh, the disturbed, uh, drop needle drop in this movie is, uh, so bad. No, I agree. But I'm saying that I, I legitimately believe in 2004. I, when I watched it, um, my guess is you probably discovered it a couple years later. Or did you watch it when it came out in 2004? Uh, I saw it in theaters actually. Did, so did you – do you remember if you hated or what were your feelings on the Disturbed Needle Drop in 2004? I probably was like, oh, this is a scary metal – I wasn't into metal when I was 13. So I was probably like, oh, this is a scary metal song. And, uh, uh, you know, I like that the movie just goes really hard at the end. That was probably the yeah. extent of it. Yeah. I didn't have like – I didn't have any sort of like taste developed then that I was like, okay, there's different there's different categories of hard rock and metal. I did, but our, our cultural taste was horrible, and unfortunately, I was probably like, yeah, good oldie to use. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, so we're going to get into uh, this. This this movie, I think, has a lot to – I think Peter and I both have a lot to say about what it was like watching this movie in 2004. Um, uh, like – and why kind of Zack Snyder, Snyder became someone that was like, oh, shit, like, I, I hope that he keeps making movies. And then I feel like it is even um, – I, I think it's had a reputation as the good Zack Snyder movie. Uh, although, like, maybe nowadays, because I feel like Watchmen and 300 got some good, like, even from, like, film nerd accolades. And then I, I think everyone's turned on him for even, like, Watchmen and 300. Uh, myself somewhat included in that um and and yeah like i i don't know like looking at like letterbox reviews from like current like people like us bill as we would say uh <laughs> this movie feels like it has a like a a three to four star reputation or a couple people that just fucking ha hate it um which is understandable so we'll get into that uh it's definitely a different experience watching it in 2004 uh than it, than it was watching it in 2020. Um, so we'll get into a little bit of Snyder and, uh, yeah, why why this movie, I think, was at... This movie is actually, like, weirdly important as, like, a key oh, yeah. to where Hollywood went in a bunch of different ways, which is just uh, interesting that, like, this... 
you know, it it was a hit, but it made like seventy five million dollars. But like in some ways, it's it's totally changed the trajectory it, of Hollywood in a couple different ways, which is it just cracked a hundred million, but still, that's you know, it, that, I think that's it, worldwide. I think domestic, it was seventy five. Sorry, yeah, it, it's still it's still like it, it, you're right. It made it made good money, but it wasn't uh, you know a Blair Witch Project where it made yeah. like. 18,000 times its budget or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, made in the United States three times its budget, worldwide four times. Like, it's fine. Uh, but, like, both the people involved in this and uh, and and the movie itself, like, totally changed the trajectory of Hollywood twice, I think. Like, the people did it, like, as a delayed timer reaction, which we'll get to. And then the movie itself just had a huge impact, w- paired with another uh, 2004 movie, uh, Saw. Um, so yeah, uh, but before we get into all that, Bill Fox, uh, he apparently has not left the Skype call that we started last time he was on the show for the road warrior, because he's like, if you guys are recording, I'm here. Uh, that's what he said. He said it on the air. Uh, and this time we decided to enter the call and have him join us again. Um, and Bill told us, I believe I've never seen this movie and then said, oh, yeah, not only have I seen this, I saw it when I came out, and I saw it with you, Peter. So, Bill, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a long time sitting here with my headphones on waiting for you guys to include me in one of these recordings. <laughs> Frankly, it was an act of mercy. Uh, we just had to make sure you were uh, operating uh, in a somewhat sane manner. I mean, these yeah. are crazy days. Like 24 hours ago, I had to empty my piss bucket, and I was worried it would be like the five minutes that you guys would be like hopping on to see if I was still there. But I made it. I'm back. I got a full shit bucket left. <laughs> I, I, I know it's like a lot longer v- to fill the shit bucket than the piss bucket, I gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, I now have a time lapse version of like Bill with his family, with his like big, like. Beats by Dre headphones on like, honey, honey, take them off. Like, no, I still have the extension cord comes up from the basement. Like, I'll join you for meals. But if I hear they pop on to record, um, it's kind of like, um, what's that? What's that like uh blow up doll movie? Lars and the real girl. I feel it's like <laughs> I have a vision of like Bill and the headphones and the beats by Dre um, where it's like, take off the headphones, Bill. No, they're going to. They're going to be back to have me on as a guest any day now. <laughs> and then eventually, like, yeah, the town you live in accepts you. Uh, yeah, eventually people have grown to accept you as uh, the podcast guy who's waiting for his uh, his sweetheart to come back from the war. If you need just to- every once in a while, he just is like, three, two, one. He's <laughs> like, I'm practicing. <laughs> Sometimes I have to fake it when my wife comes downstairs, right? It's like, no, no, (laughs) I disagree with you on that point. (laughs) Counterpoint, here is why I think you are wrong. Oh, interesting. Directors of movies, huh? (laughs) Film stuff, film stuff, directorial (laughs) debut. I don't think, like, directorial debut is not, like, too... I don't think that's too film insular. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't even fake film into it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, Bill's back. Uh, we love having him. He is... Nothing. Yeah, yeah he's pretty, here. I'm here to drink. He's ready to go. I'll talk. He's present. I'll speak. Bill, did you, like, did you like this movie when it came out in 2004? Oh, of course. 
I mean, I, I don't know actually when I first saw it because I think I saw it probably in Peter's basement, not in the theater. Um, but this is, you know, in my wheelhouse. It's about the level yeah, I, of like seriousness that I go for. So I enjoyed it thoroughly. So I saw this movie when I was 13. I was visiting my brother at college. And um, when you're 13. Hi, guys. You want to watch the new Zack Snyder movie? <laughs> What the hell I follow him from his commercial work. <laughs> you guys seen this music video career? I love his Rod Stewart stuff. Ah, mom had it around the house anyway. Uh, I'm not sad enough to like his Morrissey video yet, but someday. Uh, Do you guys know Delamitri? He was a one-hit wonder. I really like this cassette. Anyway. <laughs> He likes close-ups of shoes. <laughs> soul asylum. My soul doesn't feel like it's an asylum. Not yet, at least. <laughs> Run a rate trade, right, guys? <laughs> oh, I guess he didn't make that video. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, shove? You uh, you actually, like, shove one of Charlie's friends? Like, like the Zack Snyder, no one gets that reference. <laughs> I'm going to go watch Murder doing? Age. I'm going to go watch Murder Japanese movies in the basement for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm not sure I realized until this moment that Peter was Ralph Wiggum while growing up. <laughs> <laughs> My parents wouldn't let me use scissors, but that was for different reasons. Uh, really? <laughs> you kept making you kept making like Mad Max like leather coats and like stirrups out of it. Well, I gotta prepare for the apocalypse, Mom. Uh, you never know when I gotta be a road warrior. I'm gonna go downstairs in the basement, watch horribly like inappropriate movies for my age. Because that's where I'm liking. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I was th- I was a 13 year old who um, this is this was part of this came like right around when I was discovering uh, the Romero movies, which I've talked a lot on the show about how influential they were. Uh, particularly, we covered all the the first four Romero uh, dead movies uh, on the show. I don't know three years ago, um, two years ago. Uh, no, like yeah, 2017. So like I don't know. How long ago is that? Three and a half years? Yeah, three years. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 the, this version also didn't, when I was talking about it, I didn't talk about the remake very much, but this very much fit into my horror development and me seeking out stuff on my on my own because I was 13. I was like mowing lawns and buying DVDs online and such. And then eventually I stumbled on the dead movies. And then right as I was getting into Dawn of the Dead, <clears throat> they announced this remake and it looked so glossy and beautiful and modern. And yeah. uh, I, for some reason, like this was in an age when they would send film scenes to get you, not just film trailers, film scenes. Oh, yeah. To like yeah, I remember that. Apple, at the Apple website or my parents had a TiVo and I would watch like the same. That was, that was when, yeah, I remember that. No one knew what to do with the internet. They're like, I don't know, maybe a whole scene. And then eventually we figured out what to do, which is weaponize racism. <laughs> <laughs> we were like we we're like if people can't uh feed all of their inner demons both horny and racist then uh what good is this device before it was like universal like hey kids i don't know you want to watch a scene from dawn of the dead and get 20 cents off a chalupa and now it's like are women not fucking you <laughs> <laughs> Don't they owe you some fucks? This oh, me. internet, you got weird. <laughs> me, me, naughtily, uh, 
uh, naughtily looking around to make sure, uh, uh, you know, C- Comedy Central doesn't ch- catch me recording South Park and uh, fast forwarding past the commercials. Uh, and then five years later, I'm like, there's like YouTube videos. Do you realize that as a white man, you're more important than every other person on the planet? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Back, <laughs> back then, it was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to download this porn video. It says it's going to be 30 minutes. Oh, shoot. It was only 10 seconds. What a drag. And now it's like, uh-oh, Gucci Hacker 75 uh, leaked my uh, address to the SWAT team because I said to the accidentally beat him in Modern Warfare. <laughs> Whoopsie days. Bill and I, Bill and I now, uh, I, I started. Pl- we've started uh, playing a particular game mode called Plunder, and our goal is not to win; it's to annoy the other players a lot. So, I think Bill and I are due for a swatting. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Well, Anyways, yeah. We ruined people's uh, day. Miss, miss the days when they're like, maybe people would like to see more of the movie than normal. God, uh, I would like to see a Garfield movie, but m- more than normal. Yeah, well, they gave it to you. They gave you that, and they gave you a tale of two kitties. So, yeah. if you want to see the normal one or the normal normal one, <laughs> I, was, I, I, almost, I couldn't switch in time. So you got to commit to normal or normal for like a whole train of thought. You can't be switching back and forth through a sentence. It's Why very difficult. T- tongue twisters. I should just apologize to all the listeners in advance that my technical difficulties cost everyone two or three drinks before we started. So <laughs> <laughs> we're pre-break and already pre-break. Trouble switching All right. between words. So, Peter, you're a little boy. You wanted yeah, to be so, a big boy. You went to the theater with so you. Yeah, like, but I would watch these specific film clips that I think they were intended for promotional value. So you're supposed to watch them once and say, hey, that movie looks pretty good and then go pay money to see it in theaters. Instead, uh, I, I uh, watched these clips over and over again. I was super excited about it. I, I, I was watching all the dead movies that had come out thus far uh, to, to get excited about it. And then I went to visit my brother at college and then like him being a responsible older brother wasn't just loading me with Coors Light. Um, he uh, that, that was going to take at least another year. Uh, hey, hey, bro, you want to rock out my GameCube while you listen to my band's new album? Can you hear the dancing in the background? Pretty lit. Absolutely lit. Which is my um, second favorite band. If I recall correctly, uh, one of his roommates was watching watching Doctor Zhivago and was annoyed that we wanted to play Xbox in that room. So I don't think that weekend was particularly a good college experience. Well, I guess his roommate is now a member of the Dissolve. <laughs> So, anyways, um, yeah. So my brother took me to see it in a in a, a mall theater in Iowa, and then I bought the DVD immediately. And this was a movie that I was evangelical to my friends about when I was thirteen, yeah. fourteen. I I showed uh, all my classmates that I could that like wanted to watch a scary movie, and this was like one of those movies where I was like. Um, people would come over to the basement and like watch watch movies, and this was one where I was like, I got a good one that everyone's gonna be freaked out. By. Welcome to the basement, kids. <laughs> they were my Do you want to see a baby shot in the head? <laughs> <laughs> and being thirteen, they're in wow at all times. They were like, absolutely, please. Yeah, I, I would ideally. love to feel something today. Uh, uh, my wife, my wife watched this movie, and I will just say at that part, she goes, "No," and she put her hand up like too far. <laughs> That's what she said. Too far. It was barely a baby. Anyways, um, so yeah, and then uh, what I was gonna say is I definitely watched this. B- Bill and I have had a uh, 
14 15 year running uh deal where uh we'll play legos in the basement and keep a horror movie on in the background or an action movie on in the background and drink beers and uh this movie was heavily in rotation at some point yeah i i was the brother-in-law that was more than willing to pump a you know 14 year old impressionable child full of coors light while <laughs> his older brother <laughs> probably was a bit better steward of his development <laughs> Well, yeah. in fairness, you didn't have any Sky albums that you had produced to play. <laughs> True. I was just, you know, we'll get to it. But the, the whole, like, disturbed, like, 2003, 2004, like, what they're going for is, like, the football locker room. Like, this should have been, I don't know, I probably should have been in line at the theaters really excited that they used disturbed. Like, it fits very well, the whole Zack Did you, like... You, you you probably did you like all those bands that like you heard a song no one ever had like an album of like these bands i feel like but it was like yeah if you turn into this one radio station you're gonna hear disturbed it's like slipknot park slipknot yeah stained yeah all those i mean oh. yeah I, I there's mean, ones i'm forgetting like i'm trying to remember who like saying like i'm no paralyzer <laughs> like i'm definitely like, there's not hardcore oh. enough for that but like it's on in the football locker room and like you know you, yeah. you're trying to get all jacked up for a football game that's kind of the bro stuff <laughs> yeah. that you listen yeah. to yeah yeah ban- bands time. all destined for like uh unlocks on ssx tricky <laughs> yes actually speaking of this i was watching you may have had the pleasure of watching angry birds with your child aaron um, no Avoided that one to date. So they made they forced me to put it on like within the. I past mean, I was watching days. High School Musical tonight, so it's not like I've, yeah. I've dodged major bullets. I mean, it was I'm, not as bad as I was figuring it would be, but th- at some point, I heard "Behind Blue Eyes," which is a great song by the Who, and like oh, shortly thereafter, I realized that it was not the Who, and it was indeed Limp Biscuit. And I was they like, played the Limp Biscuit version on the movie. It's yes. probably cheaper. Yes, in the middle of Angry Birds. I was like, what What the hell is this doing here? Like, I don't know when Angry Birds came out, but like, presumably I, it was in the past, like, it's like six two years or seven ago. years. Yeah. I mean, that sounds to me like a way to get angry people. Yeah. Not just. <laughs> but I probably should have brought that up when we were talking about uh, the Disturbed remakes. But, anyways, it, uh, it falls right into my wheelhouse because I was a 2004, I guess I was a freshman in college. So. Yeah, so I was on my. So I was a. Uh, uh, I think a junior. It been my third year. I was living in a house, um, and uh, with with three friends. One of those types of houses that you had that like they had. This is true. They had the like. Uh, they ended up uh, when we all moved out after two years, um, cha- changing it to like low income housing because uh, it got destroyed. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, anyways, it was really really fun. But then I actually reconnected with a friend of mine from high school. Um, who was going to a close by university, who was like my best friend in high school, who we kept in touch, but all of a sudden, like, we were hanging out a bunch again. Uh, and, you know, what What did we do in high school? We watched, we were, we watched a bunch of movies. And so we went and saw this in theaters and we're super hyped for it. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, we loved it. And then I think we ended up watching it on DVD when it came out. And I've, I've talked about this in the show before, and it's why I'm really excited to revisit uh, The Ring this month, because I have not seen that since it came out. But uh, I kind of really got into horror movies in high school, and I got into horror movies primarily because of two movies, which are Dead Alive and Evil Dead 2. Um, and so I really liked the um, 
over-the-top horror comedy, but then I eventually kind of got into horror movies like The Dawn of the Dead. I'd seen Dawn of the Dead. I'd seen The Day of the Dead. I loved them. Uh, so what I really disliked, and also I was not a fan of The Sixth Sense, uh, which we won't get into today, but like I didn't like The Sixth Sense, and then I got annoyed between The Sixth Sense and The Ring that like all of a sudden that they had established this new trend um, of horror movies that were PG-13 and were all ghost scares. Like, there was a million of these. Like, a lot of them uh, takeoffs of Japanese originals that I hadn't seen, but also, like, like I doubt the skeleton key with Kate Hudson was, was based on it. There was just tons. And that was, like, where, like, studio-based horror went. because and And actually, movies as a whole also had pivoted to, like, Hey, you can't have an R-rated movie. Like, that eventually, like, that was big in the the 90s that you could have an R-rated blockbuster. It kind of came back in the late 2000s again. Um, And it primarily came back because of uh, two movies, which are Sin City and 300, which were huge, giant, monster, gory nudity-filled, R-rated hits. Um, and this was kind of the precursor of that. So I was just kind of... And also, just from, like, a where-I-was-in-my-life perspective, right, right, wrong, whatever, like, I got to the point where, like, watching R-rated movies or, like, gory, nudity-filled movies was no longer difficult. I was in college in 2001. I was living at home. And then it was, like, post-9-11. Maybe we shouldn't have this stuff. Also, like, these movies that are PG-13 that 10 years ago would have been huge ghost gory stories. Now we can just do the fucking haunting and all this shit and make them not rated R. And so, like, it just – it wasn't what I liked from an aesthetic standpoint. It was frustrating from a uh, – I basically – if I'm going to go see an R-rated movie in theater, I'm going to go see Black Hawk Down, which feels like, a, you know, like I'm doing a good thing, not, you know, not something that like, <laughs> oh, now I can go see Black Hawk Down whenever I want. Watching no parents. country. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it was, like, it just was a trend that I, right or wrong, just kind of hated. So, even I remember, like, The Ring, a lot of people loved. And there's tons of, like, now there's tons of PG-13, PG horror movies. There's, like, obviously I don't have the same level of rating. But at the time, there's just a lot of conflating factors that I was like, fuck this trend. I hate, ghosts weren't my favorite thing in horror movies. Like, it just, the whole thing was frustrating. And what's interesting is that the, just to jump in there really quickly, what's interesting before we get, we'll talk about a lot more in the Ring episode we're going to do this summer, but um, the Ring episode, the Ring, that that trend kind of died. Um, the trend of steal it, like the sort of uh, importing Japanese uh, movies, yeah. Americanizing them, uh, it, it, and so like getting mad at the ring for bringing on that 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 uh, particular mini fad uh, is is seems a little silly. This this many years removed, but Dawn of the Dead, yeah. Dawn of the Dead's influence is still felt to this minute. <laughs> yeah, and partially just because they you know like like a lot of and also I mean two. Th- Let's let's just be clear. Two thousand one to like two thousand five or six. Go look at the top movies of the, each of those years. It was like there was good movies, like there is every single year, but it was like just a clusterfuck of terrible cinema. 
Like, especially studio-driven cinema. It was, no one knew how to do CGI. It was like, uh, even like the, the standbys that are relatively good, like James Bond produced fucking Die Another Day, which is, I think, the only James Bond movie that I really would say I did, just don't like, enjoy, even from a James Bond perspective watching. <laughs> it is so bad, but like... That that represents, I think, well the aesthetic. And then you had Triple X, which was like, we're cooler than James Bond now, which was also ter- like <laughs> it was just a fucking terrible time for movies. It produced the worst Fast and the Furious movies. Like Fast and the Furious got good when it got out of that era. Oh, anyway, Triple X. What a reference! What are you guys doing that one? <laughs> it made two hundred million dollars. I mean, that those were the hits. Like it. So yeah. So it was. The whole the whole era was like incredibly frustrating from a the perspective of I want to go see the newest blockbuster or I want to go see a studio movie in the theater. Well, what do I want to fucking watch? Don't say a word with Michael Douglas, which at least is rated R or I don't know, like serendipity. The oh, we've made John Cusack terrible now. Like it just that's kind of were your choices. So Dawn of the Dead just felt like, hey, here's a movie that I like. You know, it comes after 28 Days Later, which I'm assuming, Peter, you were a huge fan of, which I was oh, yeah. too. But the one thing that I didn't like, I like 28 Days Later. I, I loved it. It definitely holds up now better than, than Dawn of the Dead. But I was like, man, they really keep those like zombie moments to a to a minimum. But when it happens, it's so fucking cool. It's so cool how fast it happens, like how, how fast the change is compared to like the slow death and oh shit, they're up. It's so cool how fast and just like uh, in in uh, insatiable they are. And like to put that with the Dawn of the Dead, like there's a million zombies and they're stuck in a mall trying to avoid them and kill them. I was just all in. Uh, and also, this is why I became kind of a big snack Zack Snyder defender. So Zack Snyder, before Dawn of the Dead came up, I used to get Entertainment Weekly. And uh, do you remember the movie SWAT? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which again, fits that whole what I'm talking about. It's PG-13. It's starring bit actors. No one cares about it today. But it was like, I don't know. We're remaking a TV show. We're making it PG-13. Everyone's going to go, yeah, the, Colin Farrell was good. Like, that was where we were at with Blockbuster. I would imagine 90% what about, of people that you saw haven't mentioned didn't remember it was a TV show, too. You haven't mentioned Chronicles of Riddick, which was like somewhere in between. That was 2004. Those. <laughs> yeah, it was 2004. So it's like kind of near the end of that. Oh, God. But yeah, Pitch Black fucking ruled, at least at that age. I haven't seen it in a while. God, it was rated R. It was like an alien thing. And then they're like, oh, the next one, uh, space opera and to- a bunch of CGI and not that good. It was like, God damn it. <laughs> the early 2000s. You're even ruining the new good the stuff. Theaters. Oh, of course. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I, I saw it was like, movies. again. Yeah, I my freshman year in college started in September of two thousand one, uh, so it was like that was when we were going to the Dollar Theater constantly, like in between drinking. That's what we did. Uh, so, so yeah, so like this movie, I was so just a hundred percent in for in general. Uh, but I but I read this interview with Zack Snyder. I didn't know who he was before because I wasn't a unlike Peter, I wasn't a huge Rod Stewart music video fan um but uh he had been tapped to direct the movie swat and he's like i'm gonna i want to do like a r-rated movie and the studio told him no 
Like it's, but he's like, hey, all these big stars, and he's like, okay, well then I'm not going to do the movie. And his thing is like, I waited three years. I got offered other movies. I was hemmed in by this rating that they wanted. Like, if, if you get a budget, this is the rating you're going to do. And so I kept turning down movies until they finally let me. And he he said like they wanted to make Dawn of the Dead. I don't know if this is true. It doesn't sound like it from the Wikipedia. But he's like, with Dawn of the Dead, I was like, hey, you're not going to get that much of a budget. These movies don't do well, but sure. Like, you can do your thing. So, you have to understand, that's where I was. This is the interview I read. I then go and see this movie. I was all in on this movie. And I was all in on Zack Snyder. Like, fucking finally. Like, someone that goes, like, we don't have to make every movie this, like, weird intersection of, like, compromise. Which is the area that I feel like we've moved on from there. Like, it doesn't feel like... Whether SWAT was an R-rated movie or PG-13 movie, it wasn't... I don't think it changes whether it was good or not. But before that and now after that era, it feels like in a lot of cases, if the, you the director made their movie, the screenwriter made their movie, and then, you know, re- you don't hear as much of the gotta make it PG-13. It feels like the movie, you already know what it's going to be beforehand. Uh, and you greenlight back based on this, where in that era, they were taking all of these movies that five years before that would have been R-rated movies and, and were like, gotta make them PG-13. And so they became these, it was like the era of bastardization. And then that's with also like, no one knows how to use CGI either. So the whole thing's just a fucking mess as a studio. And let's not, let's not pretend that yeah. that now, because we have an, a bunch of awesome R-rated Blumhouse movies and that's sort of become the standard. Let's not pretend that that became the standard because studios got more adventurous. Blumhouse's model, which is pretty cool, admittedly, it it, it has its drawbacks, obviously, um, is that essentially if you direct a Blumhouse movie and you they give you your money uh, and it doesn't make anything, like it, it bombs, it makes less if it makes less than its budget, it actually makes less than its like budget plus marketing, like that total that total sort of uh, you know cost. Um, you essentially get paid nothing you get paid whatever the minimum dga is for uh you know you get paid scale as a director which for the amount of work you have to put in on those movies can be pretty pretty, quite a lot yeah but also it's a it's a gamble if you make uh if you make, like, for instance, uh, David Gordon Green made uh, Hollow... Actually, that's a bad example. Uh, if you made that Boy Next Door movie, that director made an insane amount of money because the movie cost, whatever, $4 million, and then it grossed, like, $80 million. He made a shit ton of money. <laughs> um, but if he hadn't made back his his budget, he would have gotten essentially nothing. So, like, the, the, it's not necessarily that we're in a less risky era, it's that they're making movies. They're making a lot more small budget indie horror, or a lot small budget horror movies that um, they know that they're going to eventually sell to a Netflix or an Amazon or whatever. The model has changed, and uh, they're putting, at least in the Blumhouse model, they're putting a lot of the risk on the backs of whoever is vouching for the project. Yeah, and also you also just have a a lot more like big studio stuff. So you have like these independent studios that have like moved past the we're Miramax and we just are trying to win Academy Awards independent type studios, which are like, so all of your movies are like these costumey dramas and stuff like that. And then you're like, 
move past some of the other stuff like the dimension which i know was a miramax imprint that did have a good stretch of art like that's where horror was in the 90s it was r-rated it was still teenage focused because they were going off the success of scream but yeah i mean right now i feel like industry trends that are like i honestly believe that even if you fucking hate marvel and disney and stuff like that and there's definitely still like go see any of disney's live action remakes and they're all just total garbage and they make a ton of money but go look at the top 20 movies at the box office of any of the last 10 years and then go look at it from like 1996 to 2006 and you will go like okay I do like more of these movies like uh, and I think there's more there's better independent movies because we do have the Blumhouses and the A24s and the Annapurna and stuff like that but anyways uh, so yeah so I was all in for this movie because of that because this is not only was it um, everything I wanted in a horror movie which it was uh, even though I walked out of that going yeah it's no Dawn of the Dead you know, uh, original, which like changed my view of like what horror could be. And I could, um, uh, which we talked about a little on that episode, but, uh, but yeah, it is everything I want. It's like fast. It's aggressive. It's funny. Um, you know, and then I uh, kind of aligned with the director. And so then, uh, let's kind of break off from there. So then obviously, so, so Dawn of the Dead comes out, it's a hit. Then Saw comes out, and that's really what they're looking for, right? Because, again, 2004, which is, hey, this movie is going to make $80 million on $5 million as opposed to the $75 million on 25. So now you have these, like, Lionsgate, which I think did Saw, and Universal, and they're like, hey, we both had our definition of hits on R-rated fucking gruesome movies. Like, not like R-rated, like a little hint of R, but like... And that's when I think that's when horror changes. That's when you have uh, a shift into more more gore that produces its fair share of shit. Uh, but you like you're right, Peter. That trend of from like 1999 to 2004 of like PG-13 ghost horror stories ruling the kind of like major release horror films goes away. It becomes that it becomes how gross can we get? We enter the torture porn era for, I would say, overall worse. But that's where we end up. But like this movie, the reason that they were that like fucking Platinum Dooms is like I don't know Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but grosser. Um, it's is because of this and Saw. Yeah, yeah. Though didn't wasn't TCM from the year before? No. So they did a two thousand three remake. Which was not that successful. They did another 2006 one. Ah, Post yes, yes. Saw. And, and yeah. some people like the 2003 remake. Anyways. Um, so you yeah, because okay, that's the other thing that this does. Because you have Saw, like, we have R.A. movies. And then they got, like, people want to see the re- the classics again. And then we get also get the the glut of every every horror movie remake yeah. uh, done uh, gruesome. So I would say that the that the trend, even though in 2004 bucked in a direction I liked more, ultimately I don't think we got uh, any probably, again, the, the hit rate was probably the same if I went back and watched all the um, PG-13 ghost stories. And then of course the other thing it does is so now you have Zack Snyder, he makes 300 which I loved when it came out. Uh, Watchmen, which I loved, loved when it came out. I put it on my top fifty movies of all time, uh, and I it's, that's very easy to explain. 
looking back, I rewatched Watchmen this year after I finally read the comic for the first time and, and watched the sequel series to the comic. Super easy to explain. Uh, the story of Watchmen rules. And if you've never seen that story before, it is portrayed um, with all of the story beats, but with none of the themes in the Zack Snyder movie. So from a story standpoint, you're like, holy cow, this is complex and interesting. And you get these moments and then you read the comic and you're like, oh, he kind of missed the point completely. And then when you rewatch it. Yeah. Sorry. And, uh, last thing I was going to say, then when you rewatch it with that, you're like, yeah, this is super long and dragging and it's really focusing on some of the wrong things. Yeah. Um, and, and then you yeah. realize that's all true. And then when you realize that uh, part of the reason that like comic book folks were particularly annoyed with the success of the Zack Snyder one and the fact that it became like a cultural conversation was because for comic book folks, for okay, for movie watchers, we hadn't seen... Of a, a movie like that before, like that subverting the superhero tropes, uh, making yeah. a mature, bloody superhero movie uh, in that context. Like th- there weren't movies like that. There was stuff like Darkman, but that's like so minor, it barely warrants mentioning. And like yeah. Blade, Blade is obviously great and Blade 2 is even better. But that also gets dropped from the conversation. Like you're talking like, you know, the Batman, Superman, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. For movie people, that was largely unseen. For comics people, though, they had so much shit in the 90s that was subverting the idea that, you know, superheroes oh, yeah. are crazy. And, like, there, there's uh, the authority and the boys. Because well, the comic the came out in the 80s, right? And, like, the comic came out in the 80s. and So you had all the 90s that was kind of ripping off that of all the Alan Moore stuff and Frank yeah. Miller stuff. Yeah, and, and not even ripping off sometimes, but just being like, oh, yeah, like, he yeah, let's do that. Work. He yeah. opened a door for us to challenge what's going on. And like, Bill, did you, you read some comics growing up, right? Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about like you talking about Watchmen. It was the same time that X-Men Origins. I can't remember. One of the X-Men's came yeah, out. Yeah, X-Men Origins. It was 2000. Yeah, the, well, the year after Watchmen. One of right my there. favorite comics was Deadpool. Um, and I, everyone was excited that Deadpool was going to be in the X-Men movie. And then we all watched it and we're like, well, that wasn't fucking Deadpool. And it was like the (laughs) worst thing ever, right? It completely ruined- Like a merc with a mouth who doesn't talk, right? Yeah, like I I legitimately hate that movie. I couldn't even tell you what it's about other than- Do you like, out of curiosity, do you like the the new Deadpool movie? I love them. I love them. And and, you know, it's curious. You were talking about, you know- Bill, I want to tell you something. I do too. I think the sequel is a five-star movie. It's even better than the first. I love it. It it is fantastic. I I just rewatched it this year. Like, it's great. I've watched the sequel many times. But like, you think about the whole, like, can he get it done with an R-rated movie? You know? I mean, you were just talking about that. I mean, they had to push pretty hard to get Marvel to come around to making, you know, an R-rated version. And, and then we get Logan, too, which is like, even if you don't like Deadpool, great, great news. We finally got a good Wolverine movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll do them one by one. That's the only way to do it right. So I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, the comic books can completely change your view of the movie. I was I, I like Deadpool and I like Spawn. And don't even get me started on any attempt to put Spawn into a movie. But <laughs> <laughs> you're about to get another bad one, it sounds like. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, McFarlane. I'm John Leguizamo. I'm a clown. <laughs> Mc- Clowny clown, clown. Mark McFarlane's coming back. He's bringing the fat clown. He's bringing Spawn. That's all I know about Spawn. 
<laughs> Did you, I saw I saw the movie. I was uh, my friends were Bill were close to the same age. Spawn was like the biggest fucking comic book in the world. Yep. It was uh, it was one of the few that like I I read a couple of and it was. Uh, but I, I had to read at people's houses because he just the covers. I'm like, I can't even sneak this into the house. This is worse than finding porn. <laughs> I used <laughs> to like evil. redraw those covers. Like I found one the other day from when I was like 12 drawing a Spawn cover. Anyways. Bill, uh, yeah, so universe, you grew a goatee and became a comic books artist. Yeah, I should have. Yeah, so, th- so 300 is actually a movie I only saw. I saw it in theaters and I saw it when it came out. And I wasn't like hugely into it. I was super into Sin City, and again, I hadn't read those comics. Um, but I feel like somewhere in there is when Snyder's, like, that aesthetic, which worked so well for Sin City, and then it felt, because Sin City came out the year before 300, so I'm assuming Zack Snyder saw Sin City. But I, <laughs> that would be my guess. Um, but uh, I, I remember thinking, like, yeah, I don't like it as much here. It kind of became the the Saving Private Ryan uh, Normandy Beach thing. Do you remember when they started using whatever that, like, um, under under rolling the camera thing so everything gets fast? And, like, right after, it worked so great in Saving Private Ryan. And then they use it, like, in every movie for three years. So, like, the way the Sin City color palette and then the 300 pa- color palette was, like, right after that, it kind of became like, I get it. It's slow motion. It looks like a comic book. Like, you, it's it, it worked well in those movies, sure. But we got to move on a little. And then it kind of, they did, I think he did pare it down a little for Watchmen. That was my sense at the time. It wasn't as oversaturated. Um, it just, it looked like a comic page come to life with bright colors. And it really reminded me, like, in retrospect, it kind of reminded me of the Dick Tracy of its time where like from a coloring and a visual standpoint it really took these like you know things and made them pop for their era so yeah i loved watchmen and then you know i when watchmen came out it was divisive comic book fans movie lovers like it felt like a lot of people disliked it i was reading the av club uh it felt like and then it wasn't as big of a box office success Zack Snyder goes off to do the alcohol movie, um, and he does Sucker Punch, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, and Sucker Punch is PG thirteen, and it is like, what if we took three hundred saturation and turned it up to a million? And I remember being like, legitimately annoyed by that movie because it felt like again. I'm all in on Watchmen. I'm okay. I'm sort of in on 300. I still think Zack Snyder, the Dawn of the Dead remake, is one of the best uh, horror movies of the last 10, 15 years. And all of a sudden, he makes like a PG-13 sex movie that's oversaturated. Like, and it was it's, like... It's a, it's a fetish movie, essentially. It's it's playing into a lot of like uh, anime fetishism, um, but it doesn't ground that at anything. So like yeah, but it also feels like okay. Well, then make it even like in when it came out. I was like, well, why is it PG? Like if I if I've ever seen a gross R-rated movie that like you're like, well, this is fucking like like yeah, it's gonna be it's it has a huge budget and ton of nudity. It looked like it would be this movie, and instead it's like shitty music videos for covers for the whole thing. Um, and I was kind of done with him at that. I was so annoyed by that movie. I don't know. 
Yeah, that was that's my that that was my trajectory as well. Was uh, I the uh, the bloom had come off the rose uh, literally after um, two two and a half movies. I was sort of into three hundred, but yeah, you know, yeah, that was my. And then uh, wa- uh, Watchmen, I was I was also Gaga over. Um, but when I saw I was more into three hundred than it was an R rated movie that was a huge hit. Yeah, I yeah. feel like. Yeah, I mean, I. What, Anyways, also part of the role is that um, he starts to take on more of a role as a screenwriter, um, and he's a terrible screenwriter. One of the huge mistake, uh, which kind of leads us to uh, two points: one, the fact that James Gunn wrote the script for this, yeah, um, and it's a pretty damn good script, actually. I would say the script is stronger than the direction, Um, and then two, uh, he uh, you don't like shoes. What? You don't like bullets falling by shoes? <laughs> <laughs> and bouncing occasionally. Cartridges. You know, they love the bullets. They love the cartridge. They love the bounce. What do you think's better? Do you think the story beat is better? Or do you think deep focus on a gun pointed at the screen is better? <laughs> I have to tell you. I have to tell you. There is There are a few things that have made me laugh harder than... Uh, Mackay Pfeiffer and an old lady in a slow-mo John Woo-style shootout with one another uh, in that, like, hospital room. when Mac- Yeah, all of a sudden it gets Fight Club. Hospital yeah. room? They're in, like, the toy room. They're in the... Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> yeah. You, you know, think about that, you go, how much would this be better if it was lit like a toy store? Way better. <laughs> yes. And, and they it would make the scene so much creepier right like if it was candy yeah. colored and bright and instead they were like the power's back but for some reason we're gonna really fuck with the generator in this one part of the store um but yeah so the the he started taking more screenwriting duties um and he is the, the it, it should have been out by now um he is the co-writer on a straight to Netflix on purpose uh, style, uh, big budget uh, a- action zombie movie called Army of the Dead. Um, he's directing it. Yeah, he's directing it. And he uh, co-wrote the screenplay. Um, and it's got Dave Bautista in it, Garrett Dillahunt. Um, it could be a cool it could be a cool movie. Um and uh, so in, in a sense, like James Gunn at the time had just written Scooby Doo, basically. Um, he wasn't like known as <laughs> he wasn't like known as like uh, a a horror guy. He wasn't known as a a, a genre. He's just a guy. But despite the fact that he was a trauma guy, he did a ton of work on trauma stuff. But like people don't give a shit about trauma, so that uh, makes sense. Um, and then he wrote a really fantastic script. I would argue the only thing that sucks about this movie is like. Um, there's there's certain plot points I don't like, and then uh, the ending to me is just well. He didn't get to do his own rewrite because he was working on this is true Scooby Doo Two Monsters Unite, so uh, yeah. he was busy. So it, I would love to see the version where um, James Gunn does his own rewrites on set. Um, and then what's interesting, to- yeah, and what's interesting is James Gunn got to like back up his genre uh, bona fides later when like trauma got more popular, you know, in sort of a retro sense. And then in a future sense, he wrote Slither, which is an, another great zombie movie, which, which um, we which we covered on this show. Yeah, a few years ago for Slugfest. Um, and then uh, Super, which is also a super challenging kind of. Re- it's kind of funny that Super came out uh, around uh, or a little. Yeah, around when Watchmen was coming out, um, because both of them are sort of like down and dirty. And riffs. kick ass. Yeah. And kick ass. All three of them are kind of down and dirty riffs on adult 
costume movies. What? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, do I want to appeal to 5% of the population or like 85% of the furries? Super (laughs) was. There's there's another one with, uh, what's his name? Um, Michael Rappaport, too. I forget what it's called, but... um, Yeah, it was... No, I forget what it's... That's the one with... uh, 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 Rob Lowe? Who's the, who's the guy who's got a, a, a face like a brick? Uh, he's uh, he's the cute bartender in Cheers. Oh, you can't remember Woody Harrelson's name? Woody Harrelson. There we go. Uh, there's Defendor with Woody Harrelson. This is an era of everyone sort of riffing on superhero movies all at once. Weirdly, like, before the MCU existed. Uh, and then he would yeah. go on to, from making Super, which is a super... Uh, Super kind of gross. I really, I really I mean, like Super when it came way. out, gross but I haven't seen way. it. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, like the subject matter is really challenging. Special. That's the Michael Rappaport one. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Uh, sort challenging sort of superhero riff. That's also like a depressing kind of drama. He would go on yeah. to work on the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and just do straight up like great superhero comedies. So J- James Gunn, like, kind of people were giving him shit when he was about to write the movie, and then. Um, and also blamed him for, you know, problems they had with the movie. But coming to, to it now, like, I know this is probably a more convenient answer for me, but, like, any problems they have with the movie are pretty much with the direction, not with the script. Yeah, and and that's why, so, to kind of put a bow on this and we'll get, and getting to the movie, like, why this movie, I think, this movie is fascinating from a cultural perspective, because, like, it has these three pathways that really influence every, like, so much of our current pop culture, like, it is partially responsible for both the re- return to like hard R torture porn that came like post this movie and saw in 2004. Uh, it's it's partially responsible for the hey, as long as we're making fucking gory ass movies, why don't we also you <laughs> make them remakes? Let's do Texas Ch- Chainsaw Massacre, but grosser. Let's do uh, Friday the 13th, but grosser. Like, all these kind of things uh, that that happen kind of post this movie. And then you have the director who, yeah, after Sucker Punch, you kind of think, like, this guy can't get a movie made. Then he makes Man of Steel and helps dictate the wrong way to make a superhero franchise for for a few years. But he's like... I mean, I think it was uh, – I think Justice League is and, and uh, Dawn of uh, whatever, Justice, are like – I mean, he the he the guy that made this directed the most expensive movie ever made, which I believe is still Dawn of Justice, three hundred million dollar budget, and Justice League was close to that. Like, it's so, and he's making like PG thirteen superhero movies that you at least like when I was a fan of him, it was like this is the guy that's never gonna compromise, and it's it's weird that not only did he compromise, but he was uh, relatively influential, I would say, in a bad way. And then you have James Gunn, who wrote it, who is partially responsible, I think, for making the Marvel movies better. It's not that I think they were bad before, Peter, but when Guardians of the Galaxy, this, like, well, no one cares about Guardians of the Galaxy, no one knows the comic, becomes a huge hit. It's like, oh, let's be fun. Let's try to be fun. So, like, even Suicide Squad, which was terrible, which comes after Guardians of the Galaxy, they're like, oh shit, should we make this fun? 
like instead of terrible and dour and boring and then you see something like birds of prey the you know blah 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 sequel to suicide squad and it's fun and bright colors and so good and it's like oh yeah you can make these things fun and you have like thor ragnarok and they get you know uh other like it just feels like we don't have to just do the captain america winter soldier grunginess we can also be bright colored funny and and fun and so yeah it is amazing how this one little movie that i just liked quite a bit in 2004 kind of became this like trident of things that it spread out into movie making uh because of its uh, success and existence yeah yeah i think that's i think that's a good way to lead us into the second half beer? um because beer beer <laughs> you guys want to talk about dawn of the dead 2004 <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Down the Dead in oh, 2004. Shit. Get up, come on, get down with the sickness. Get up, come on, get down with the sickness. Get Peter, you are alternate taglines. Alternate taglines? Uh, <laughs> Dawn of the Dead, made by someone who thinks capitalism's pretty cool. I don't think he has any opinion on capitalism. <laughs> Not in this movie, but in real Not life he does. His next yeah. movie is supposed to be, after Army of the Dead, is supposed to be a Fountainhead adaptation, because he's... Oh, that's right, I forgot. Because he's he a libertarian. Oh, makes sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I. you know what I just realized with alternate taglines, we've done like... 200, 200 episodes where we've done alternate taglines. How have how has uh, one of our alternate taglines never been um, I gotcha as opposed to you're it. Oh, that's which would good. be, a, yeah, it's an alternate tagline. Alternate, alternate Not for the movie tagline. but for the game of tag specifically. <laughs> hey, uh, Aaron, can you wah, give us the wah. recap in, in 90 seconds? <laughs> You guys don't want to stew on that and think about uh, think about what all that. I was means. hoping for like a retail related uh, alternate tagline there, Frank or Peter. Sorry. <laughs> Once I have enough to drink, Alter- his name is Frank. An alternate tagline. Uh, what if instead of a line, it's a cue? Because you're in Britain, foggy London uh, town. They say the only stew uh, I want to do, stew go, Stuart Gordon. Uh, I think we call him Stewie Gordy. Stewie Gordy. He's our canonical name for Stewie Gordy. Hey, can you give me the fucking recap? Yeah, so it's about it's about a lady. <laughs> zombies come, she, zombies leave, and she she works, uh, and she uh, comes home from her job. She's like kind of she fucks her husband. She ignores some news reports that would have been helpful. Um, and it's about uh, to go ooh, uh, uh, just so everyone knows. About, Wow. Um, it actually starts with an am- amazing song. So, say what you will about Zack Snyder. Uh, does good credit sequences. So, anyways, yeah, this do- this this person. We'll get to that because he didn't make the credit sequences. Sorry, go on. Oh, he didn't in this? Nope. Do you want to do it oh, now? Well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now? Hold on, really quick. So, yeah. About so, time? she comes home, fucks her husband. All of a sudden, the neighbor's there and they're like, hey, what's up? Why are you in our house? We just fucked. It's morning time. Uh, but it's because this little girl's a zombie. She bites uh, her husband and her husband bleeds out and then t- immediately turns into a zombie and attacks her. She gets in her car. Great, amazing scene of just all of a sudden the whole world descended into chaos. 
Um, she drives away. Uh, there's like ambulance is crashing. Their car is crashing. She's uh, gets further away. Sees like a bus full of people just eating people. And eventually, as someone tries to get into her car, that she gets scared and ends up crashing it. Cut to uh, what's been happening in the world today? <laughs> little little news update. Uh, it takes everything sequence. you got. I've heard. Yeah, uh, it sure would help a lot if we knew what was going on with all these zombies. Would uh, you like to get away? Well, she does. In her car for a little bit, eventually a mall. But yeah, it's to uh, Johnny Cash is when the man comes around. Did not know. He does get a lot of correct, I think, accolades for the Watchmen credit se- sequence, which is like, even if you dislike that movie, most people will say, oh, but that credit sequence recapping how we got to the Watchmen is pretty amazing. Um, and I, I actually think this one's better as a way to kind of uh, show real world footage of uh, descent into chaos combined with like these great little news uh, moments. But I guess it's not directed by him. Peter, fill us in. Uh, I will. So there's actually a, a, a special effects uh, title designer, <clears throat> special effects designer dash main title guy named Kyle Cooper. That's uh, one of those those inner Hollywood names that like you don't know until you know, and then you look him up on IMDb and you're like, holy shit. So uh, Kyle. Cooper, and if you didn't know, like now you know. For him is is that uh, some directors don't like working with him because you don't want the title sequence to be better than the rest of the movie, which is something I would say <laughs> about this movie. Yeah, um, agreed. And I like this movie, but the title opening title sequences are genuinely like they establish theme for the movie that I don't know if the movie has. <laughs> they establish a tone. They, they uh, change the way we look at zombie literature and movies but uh he's someone who does opening titles a lot of them are are you know for not very impressive movies but he did like the opening titles for this the spider-man 2 opening titles kiss kiss bang bang he works in the metal gear solid games too for a little bit um and like uh like the list is insane like he worked on pushing daisies as well Mm -hmm. um speed racer he did some he was the the, the opening title creative director um tropic thunder um like the list is insane i won't go through all of it but essentially he's he's the guy you bring in when you're like we want in the first 15 or so minutes of this movie, we want to have... For you to be wild and just, like, ready for what comes next. Yes. And and it's also for movies that are kind of troubled, and the opening title sequence might, like, establish a tone that the rest of the movie doesn't necessarily carry, right? Like, Iron Man 2 has a great opening sequence. Uh, Sorry, not Iron Man 2. What was I thinking of? Like, some of the comedies, like, Simone and path to war are not very great like uh, you know movies but like uh they they establish they establish like what the i looked up some of his shit because it's on youtube and like sort of uh master cuts they establish like the tone of the movie in a way that um that uh the rest of the movie doesn't necessarily carry uh and funny funnily enough aaron we were just talking about the movie proof of life he did the opening uh title sequence for that i mean we were i've never seen proof of life i was just making a joke about dennis quaid and meg ryan uh in a chat uh but yeah uh that's uh yeah he's uh he does a great job and i'll actually say we'll may talk about a little more the the 
opening scene to opening credits is the best part of this movie to this day. Um, but yeah, I was totally primed for anything that came next after the one-two punch of those things. And yeah, so anyways... Uh, Wait, real quickly, we'll- we didn't talk about the best part of the opening title sequence, which was not Kyle Cooper... Which is the fact that it's over Johnny Cash's when the man comes around. No, I said I said that. Oh, you yeah. did? Okay, sorry. Oh, so great. I mean, I that was like an instant I'm gonna steal this from LimeWire the second the movie's over. Um <laughs> I a- yeah, I knew I just didn't know this Johnny Cash song and I was like uh, still still listening to it now. I was like, God, I gotta get that on some sort of Spotify mix. And Johnny but I listen to it on a daily basis. A bunch of amazing tracks at like the at the tail end of his life where you're just like the king went out on yeah. a, re- a bunch of things. Well, you got you got that, and of course, I hurt myself today. Uh, Nine Inch Nails like said he owns that song. He did, uh, yeah, amazing song, amazing music video. Like, yeah, not surprised. Uh, and also, I'll say, not only did I think this is the best part of the movie, George Romero. Uh, when he saw this movie, those those first two, the opening scene to this, he was like, "Oh, this is gonna be great." And then he's like, "Ah, then it kind of turns into a video game." But uh, that's my best Romero <laughs> impression, um, which it does. But uh, yeah, uh, definitely primes you for like, "Oh, this movie's gonna be amazing." So anyway, so uh, she uh, wakes up from her car accident and runs into Mackay Pfeiffer and someone who's no Mackay Pfeiffer, which is Ving Rhames. Um, and a couple other people. <laughs> the guy that works at Best Buy has never been in anything else. Uh, I forget all the characters' names and half of the actors' names. But anyways, they're like, let's go to the mall. They go to the mall. They get in past zombies. They immediately run into uh, – they, they run into a zombie. They kind of kill him. Um, they leave him kind of twitching in the opening – the fountain. They go up to the second floor and, hey, there's three security guys that are like, get the fuck out of here. This is our safe place. Go find a different safe place. Uh, they eventually are like, well, fine, you guys can be in charge. Typical conservatives always trying to protect their safe spaces. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. These guys are definitely, uh, these guys are definitely Trump voters later, but they're dead. Oh, so. in, in Wisconsin? Yeah. Um, so, anyway, uh, if only Hillary would have went there, they would have let him right into the, <laughs> the second floor of the mall, but she didn't, she didn't campaign there once. Uh, so once at the whatever Riverside Mall in, in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Uh, it's something CR because they have the Colorado Rockies logo as the like the mall logo so i don't know what the name of it is in the movie but it's something cr anyway so they're like uh you know they're they're easy to manipulate because they're these security i love that one little aside i do love that um this movie recognizes that mall cops suck (laughs) in every capacity and are like worried about all the wrong things so they're still worried about people stealing (laughs) it's like uh but anyways they're watching the news it's a good joke it's a good joke james gunn has been kicked out of plenty of malls Yes. Uh, just for that hair, like, pat it down a little, dude. Uh, if you want to be walking around the Orange Julius. Uh, so, he, they're watching the news pretty regularly and trying to learn as much about it as they can. I, I love the line there where it's like, see, America always figures its shit out. Also feels very apropos to now. Um, oh, yeah. This movie weirdly resonates in a way it didn't when I was in eighth grade. Yeah. So... Anyways, they take they go up to the the roof to paint signs, um, SOS, 
uh, on the roof because they are still planes and helicopters flying over. As they're up there, another like a big bus comes to the mall with people that are alive. Very funny scene of like, how can you know they're alive while they're driving a car and shooting? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, And uh, and they uh, during that, he's like, no, let him die. I don't care. And over that fight, they end up taking control, locking the two mall security guards in like a kind of a makeshift mall prison. They rescue all these people on the bus. There's a couple of people that's bitten. They don't realize that bites are the the cause of this yet. Um, They have figured out they need to shoot him in the head. Um, And ultimately, uh, a couple of people die from the bites. Also, uh, just really quick, just throw that in. Makai Pfeiffer has a girlfriend who is pregnant. So the mall, so they have to do a couple like horrific death moments. Uh, but after that, there's like a nice little stretch of like enjoying the mall, enjoying their time together, getting to know each other. Uh, and that all kind of goes to shit when the generator goes out. They lose uh, one of the shitty mall cops that helps them find the generator on that trip. Um, as well as uh, Mackay Pfeiffer's girlfriend has been bit. She, he's been keeping her locked up. In the toy toy place, she dies, becomes a zombie. The baby's born as a zombie, kills the old woman bus driver who um, who had saved all these people and then uh, ends up getting killed. And then a zombie baby gets killed in the, the whole process. Uh, and then they decide they should get the fuck out of there. They've been trying to debate where they should go, how bad it's getting. TVs have been cut out. They have a, a nice little relationship with the gun store guy who they've been being able to – who is kind of living at the gun store and is also safe. And they've been playing games and communicating via signs and binoculars. Uh, so they're like, well, he has a bunch of guns. We're running out of ammunition um, because those damn liberals won't let us have a gun store in the mall even though it's part of the second amendment and freedom. Uh, so they're like, we're going to go get him, uh, but he's starving to death and they're not ready to go yet. So in their process of trying to get him food, um, he ends up getting bitten, but they still have to go there and rescue uh, one of the people that went over there, the dog, and also ultimately get the guns in these like armored vehicles that they've created uh, over a course of an inter- in, in determined amount of time. Uh, but they're going to go to Ty Burrell's character, whose job is just to be a smart ass. It is weird, like having watched Modern Family to be like, hey, Ty Burrell, uh, who's like the whole joke of Modern Family is that he's trying to be a hip dad. Um, but is 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 pain, painfully not good at that to be like he's the cool edgy rock and roll guy who's too. <laughs> um, but anyways, Ty Burrell into someone I have like very sweet warm feelings in. Uh, from Steve, the guy who owns a boat and likes to fuck. I I mean, when I saw this movie, I don't know if we want to pause it to get in. A, because uh, I don't know if we'll get back to Ty Burrell. Let's just. Do but it. when I let's yeah, when I first saw this yeah, when I first saw this movie. I really liked Ty Burrell. It was it was funny to have a character in a zombie movie where everyone's trying to band together to just be like, "You guys are all idiots. We're all gonna die." Um, let's get drunk and it's <laughs> let's get drunk. And also because he's written by James uh, Gunn, he has some legitimately funny one liners. He does, which is. Thingies. Um, and I also like one of my favorite my favorite one that still holds up really well. There's a point where he's supposed to as they're coming back. To go back to the plot from the gun store, his whole job, he's like, you have to come to the gun store. And he doesn't want to do it. He's like, why would I want to do that? Good lines about it. They say, you guard this door. And then when they get to the door, he's not there. Thankfully, um, 
I forget her character. Blonde chick. What is her character's name? Sarah Polly is. Um, well, I know Sarah Polly, but yeah, her character's name, whatever. Anyway, Sarah Polly lets them back in, and when they get to him uh, again by the by the trucks, he's like, "Oh, you guys, you guys made it back, okay." It's like I'm gonna fucking kill you later, <laughs> but just yeah, his like, oh, good people, they don't shoot him then. But then when she finally, <laughs> yeah, go on, sorry, I'm gonna. It, yeah, it feels good. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's fine. Um, so they they get in the cars, they 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 head out. Uh, one of the big SUVs gets overturned, um, overturned as part of this. Um, and there's a horrible accident that happens with a chainsaw. Who could have um, predicted this? Who could have predicted? Uh, don't let the old guy near the chainsaw. Um, <laughs> who was like, who's this, this frail old pastor? Let's give him Give him the chainsaw. chainsaw. This is the organ player. The one that He's could not get. a pastor. Doesn't yeah. even believe in God. Why don't, yeah, you're right. Why don't they ask everyone in the, in the crew, if you can do a single pull up, you get to hold the chainsaw. Yeah, the chainsaw, the one weapon that actually has could potentially have a lot of pushback and could get out of control. Yeah, uh, like like with power tool, like <laughs> me as a able-bodied uh, 20-something, uh, whenever I'm operating even just like a regular circular saw, I like get my fucking body out of the way in case it kicks back. With um, yeah. a fucking chainsaw, like that thing has so much, so much power and so much give terrible idea they barely make it out of the parking lot and he cuts someone else in half um a character not well served by the script um uh, uh she has and one uh, sweet moment and that's it one sweet moment i do like when she's like really annoyed with the girl with the dog too like you gotta be fucking kidding me with this dog <laughs> she speaks um, for the audience then and it makes speaks me for the audience that, yeah uh so anyway so the as part of this, they end up uh, trying to hoof it on uh, foot to Ty Burrell's boat. Ty Burrell gets bitten by a zombie. Uh, Sarah Polly takes some uh, some joy in killing him, putting him down. Um, they get to the dock. Uh, it's just Ving Rhames, the good security guard, the young hot one, the uh, the daughter of the of the guy that died, played by um, Max Headroom. Oh, Matt Brewer. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and Sarah Polly, and the one, the Best Buy guy, the guy that's kind of been the 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 rock throughout all this, the calm guy. He got bit through the process. He kills himself. They get on the boat. Um, they're they're safe until all of a sudden uh, you cut to kind of a found footage thing where they found a video camera, started recording it, and it cuts between credits and them arriving on an island somewhere on Lake Michigan, based on where Milwaukee is. Um, they get off the island, the dog runs after something, and uh, the movie ends with the camera getting drop- dropped and a insurmountable amount of zombies um, coming and killing everyone, presumably, uh, which I really liked. Too, I like. I love that uh, happy ending cut to to credits, and it felt like, well, that's not really Dawn of the Deady. Um, it's even better with like or somewhat happy Ty ending. Burrell, like, oh, we found his camera, and it's showing him like his home videos with bikini clad women on his boat, and then it cuts to the whole like descent into dark. They're hanging on the boat. They run yeah, out of gas. They, they run out of food. They run into another boat that's like Got a yeah, head in the yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, uh, because of that cutting, and I hadn't seen this movie in a while, I thought Ty Burrell survived because I remembered he was in video footage on the boat. And so when he 
got turned into a zombie and died. Uh, it was legitimately surprising, even though I've seen this movie a bunch of times, but it's been a while. So, yeah, that's Dawn of the Dead. Uh, my general thoughts on it is that it definitely it does not hold up uh, from what it meant and how 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 monumental it felt in 2004 and how great it felt in 2004. Uh, it has uh, – there's there's – there's moments of it like we were kind of already making fun of the Mackay Pfeiffer in the in the Fight Club lit toy store um, that just don't work as well. Um, still very well written and um, in, in, a, in a lot of parts. But it does feel like, man, there's so many moments where you wish they would have spent more time on, say, them hanging out in the mall as opposed to like uh, video game tasks. Like, I think this movie shines when it's them trying to occupy their time, which was true of Dawn of the Dead, the original, except Dawn of the Dead, when it didn't get to those moments, when it expanded beyond those moments into the horror and other things, still worked just as well. And I think this movie um, shines best when it's kind of showing life among these people, the conflicts between them, and less when it's like, oh, now the generator went off. Okay, now we got to go get guns to food to this guy. Okay, now we got to build this thing. Like, that's where I feel like it becomes less interesting. But overall, my my thing of why it kind of works still is that it's not trying to be Dawn of the Dead. It, does, it has no themes, as Peter said, uh, whatsoever. It is just, um, what if we have... Um, uh, a well-shot, kinetic zombie movie um, <laughs> with some good action sequences. <laughs> and a beer for... Sorry, did I just hear... Did I just hear... Yeah, Bill, are you are you shooting the top of your beer off with a with a P two two six? Absolutely. I mean, you got to be clear when you say like the the games they play or how they occupy themselves. What you really mean is when they have gun store Andy shooting like the characters that they call like when they call Burt Reynolds or Rosie O'Donnell and gun store Andy pops yeah. Oh, it's so amazing. That that is great. That's one of that's probably one of the best scenes up after the after the opening stuff in the movie. But I do think like I I do like the whole montage between um with the with the Richard Cheese version of, of Down with the Sickness where they're all like showing their little moments in the in the mall. I do think the mall looks really cool. Like um the one thing about the two thousand like mini malls are so like part of uh, probably growing up in the nineties for a lot of us. The mall from the seventies felt like an and an, um felt like a, a mall that probably I had never really gone to. The mall in this feels like, oh, I know this place. It's got two floors. It's got escalators. Here's where the, the giant sporting goods shop is that has like its own bed and its own quasi bathrooms and stuff. And I just wish it would have spent more time with the characters because for the most part, the actors are really good. Um, where it yeah, falls down, I think. He's a good actor, but he's just not that well served by the movie, ultimately. He, yeah, he's the worst out of everyone. But everyone else, I think, is, even in these little fun bit parts, is relatively good. Um, yeah. I, I just feel like it, the, the description of this by George Romero as a video game feels very much true, which, yeah, what's that video game? Dead Rising. Did you ever play Dead Rising, either of you? I was obsessed with Dead Rising, man. I was fucking obsessed with it. It feels like Dead Rising is less of a ripoff of 1979's Dawn of the Dead or 78's Dawn of the Dead 
as it is a takeoff of 2004's Dawn of the Dead. Like, yeah. that's what it feels with, with the exception of slow moving zombies. Like, it, it is a mall that's two stories, that's this big playground, and that's where the movie shines. That's where it's still super compelling. Uh, the zombies are super compelling. Um, they're scary. They're scary. Also, they're scary. These are, are shoot them in the head zombies and they're running zombies. Yeah, so it caused it's, a lot of a lot of issues because I think people were fine. I mean, uh, horror fans always shit their pants because horror fans are weirdly regressive uh, when it comes to uh, the genre riffing on itself. Like, no, that's yeah. not what a vampire is. That's not what a zombie yeah. is. It's very tiresome, and it's been tiresome since I was a child. Please let it go. Um, but the the idea yeah. that like you have to, uh, that they have to be slow moving zombies and you know, that 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 whole argument is is elaborated elsewhere. You can Google. My only thought on it is that the movie determines whether or not the zombies need to be fast or slow. If it's a if it's a small. Um, so more personal story or it's a movie about ruminating on death and it's ruminating on death of a culture um, then slow zombies go slow go slow if it's a movie about like uh, apocalyptic fast moving action and how quickly your life can change like that like and it's not really a rumination of death it's more of just a straight survival story feel free to make your fucking zombies fast like like train to busan would not work uh, with Train to Busan would not fucking work if it did not have fast zombies. No, and this one, like, I love how fucking just single-minded and relentless these zombies are. Like, um, when when uh, one of the best scenes or moments in the opening, too, is that part where her husband is chasing her outside of the car. Right? So, she gets in her car. Her husband, her dead husband, who's now a zombie, is like Tom Cruise running after her in this car. And you're like, why is – like, it's a it's a brain-dead zombie. Why is it chasing her? And what you see is while the camera stays focused on the car, the husband just sees something else to go eat. And then fucking bolts like a maniac to that thing so off good. screen to eat. It's so goddamn good. And that happens, like – there's that scene where they see them, like, slowly walking – and they're they're uh, when they're outside the mall and they look and they're like, oh, are these people? Because they're slowly walking. And then the second they see them, they're like fucking Olympic runners trying to get to them. Like that feels kinetic in a way that why this movie is not scary. This movie in no way is scary, but it does. I think when we were talking about with Ethan last week, he said, why do people like this movie? Uh, spoiler alert from his letterbox rating. He does not like it. Um, but I said, because it's not, it's less of a horror movie and more of a fun kinetic action movie. And I think that's still true. Uh, yeah, it, it works as a, it's, it's a streamlined version of Dawn of the Dead um, <laughs> that it uses. Uh, and this is sort of continuing because the first two movies of our uh, siege month, weirdly enough, are uh, divide the summer in half. Um, excuse me, the first two movies of our uh, Screamakes month uh, sort of divide the summer in half between Siege movies and and uh, Screamakes because Night of the Living Dead remake and this are kind of Siege movies. It's just with the zombies on the outside instead of uh, zombie-like people. Um, and uh, that that this movie very much streamlines the concept of the original. It does not have much to say about consumerism. It came before the true mall collapse happens, so it has nothing to say about that. Um, I also saw this movie in a mall theater um, 
which was weird coming out of it and seeing like these massive toy stores and Lego stores and shit like in the Midwest um, with that strange fluorescent light and the way the, the mall was kind of empty when we were walking out because uh, we saw a horror movie at 9 p.m. and we were the only stores that were still open then were was, you know, the, the front desk of the theater. <laughs> um, so like that uh, the, the, the movie is streamlined into a survival film as opposed to a thematic rumination on society yeah. and all that. But that's fine because I think, as Aaron says, the dramatic relationships are are still very compelling, more or less. Uh, you know, there's a couple. Yeah. But the main characters that have... Some work better than others. Yeah, Ving Rhames has a cool arc. Sarah pa- Polly has a cool arc. Um and, and um there's lots of even the best buy guy like i like i like the whole like yeah i was like it's it's poorly acted i don't think he's a very good actor but um you know the kind of moment of just being like yeah um what i was worst at in real life was of being a husband and what i was best at was being a father and then you kind of realize oh oh shit this guy has kids oh those kids are definitely dead yeah like it's a, it's a it's a compelling dramatic moment if he would have been better if he was a good actor. <laughs> um, but the sentiment But he crushed really TV good this movie after that, like episode after episode. Yeah. I recognized him from Lord knows how many different sitcoms and TV dramas. Uh, yeah, yeah, similar to uh the actor from Land of the Dead who uh went and made all all of the money as the mentalist <laughs> on um <laughs> uh the the dawn of the dead lead male i guess you actually big rames the lead male but jake weber is sort of played as the romantic interest um he uh yeah he gets to be uh he he gets to make a lot of money on tv after this he's really good in this movie called uh wendigo this larry larry fessenden movie but uh but yeah bill what did we've been talking and talking bill what what hold on i do want to say something land of the dead came out the same year as this when i saw land of the dead i don't know if we got to this in the episode the one thing i kept thinking was i'd like this guy to be able to solve crimes really easily. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a smart guy. Seems like he can solve crimes with his mind. Yeah, like he's okay at driving this fucking giant RV. How funny is it though that w- that these these movies did come out in the same year? I think uh, Land of the Dead was two thousand was August, and this was like March. Oh, so sorry, it wasn't the same year. Okay, right, right after though, within six to nine months. I'm sure George Romero was a little pissed off, like, fucking, they, they use super RVs. Really that was quickly, my big move. We talked about Land of the Dead in the Land of the Dead episode, but really quickly, what I do like is that Dawn of the Dead gets to act as where this is going to be an id-driven action zombie yeah. movie, and it's going to work really well as that. And then Land of the Dead is a sort of imperfect, but perfect in its imperfection, in my mind, um, social commentary. So we kind of got... Yeah, Land, Land of the Dead has themes. Yeah, we got, we got to have both of them within a year of each other, so like, fuck it, like... I think that's really quick. I don't know if we set this up at all, but like the thing about Dawn of the Dead is like it does work in a way that good remake should like it took what if zombies, what if mall, what if people use the mall as a safe spot and then the rest is just I'm just going to take that because you're not going to beat George Romero at what he was like Dawn of the Dead is a perfect movie like perfect, perfect one of the best movies ever made. So, but the, but yeah, the setting and the concept you can do a lot with, but uh, it, 
I think a lot of people when they saw this were like, well, that's not like Dawn of the Dead at all. It took away a lot of the stuff that I cared about. It's like, well, it's not doing that. Just think of it as a zombie movie set at a mall and you'll be fine. Anyway, sorry. Bill. What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> you just stop calling it an SUV. It was a mall bus. Did I say SUV? I'm really impressed, though, that the the level of like shop and you know fabrication materials I had at a mall. Like, who repairs their own vehicles at a mall? Can can you guess the moment during that that my wife was annoyed at? Uh, the chick painting the teeth on the snowplow? Yeah. Yeah, she hated that. I get that. She's like, like, what are you doing? Like, oh, let's boost morale a little bit. <laughs> her weird arc is that you see her paint the baby's room and then you only see the baby's room. You don't see it because it's like facing the camera during the montage where the spray paint is like covering the camera. <laughs> And then, and then you see her paint the the bulldozer part or whatever, the uh, the the shovel part of the truck. That's her. She just loves to paint. I think she's she a bizarre lost. character. I mean, in in that indeterminate amount of time, she did lose her it, dad. It took them to build those things. I I'd argue the A team would have had it done in like eight hours. So like. I'm really disappointed in Ving Rhymes and Mackay Pfeiffer. Actually, Mackay Pfeiffer. But the really A team would have only had to build one. That's fair. That's fair. I have I have conflicted feelings about that sort of third a third act interruption where we have to go to the gun store across the street um, because while one like I it did actually hit me pretty hard to lose the gun store Andy um, and to have to have Ving Rhames who clearly loves this guy put him down like that that works dramatically. Sorry, it also has I think the only creepy moment of this movie, like creepy, not like horrific or like jolty. But like the creepy moment where you see him writing something and he's just smearing blood all over it and lifts it up. That yeah, is like he's doing so good. What, he's doing what zombies would do in the old Romero movies, which is they're trying to reenact what they would have done when they were alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're shitty at it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the they go across the street to try and rescue the redhead daughter wants to Max Headroom's daughter, <laughs> daughter of Max Headroom. She she uh, wants to go save her dog, despite the fact that the movie is the dog is fine, establishes <laughs> that the zombies aren't interested in dogs. She wants to go. So she runs across the street and for some reason they don't abandon her immediately. And like, it's such a, uh, it's such, and even as a dog lover, I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. This isn't save the dog. This is save the child, which is something I'm not a fan of. Um, and this, this, the fact that there's not even like an inner group conflict on this in, in any serious regard, it's just like the one asshole versus everyone who's like, yeah, we'll risk our lives for this one moron. Um, is uh is pretty pretty uh it's pretty ballsy for a third act twist it feels like that should be the depressing point uh at the to top off the second act like we're never gonna get out of here we're never gonna get out of here we lost our friend and then they need to find an excuse to go across the street and try and save him instead it's like the excuse is like we need to go save this dog that doesn't fucking need saving oh okay we need to go save this girl that definitely needs saving but she did it to her. but she didn't yell leroy jenkins i mean it's like the best leroy jenkins move i've seen in a movie in a long time (laughs) i actually think they do explain it decently well even though i'm not fan of her like i think the part that doesn't work for me is her running over there in the first place like that's fucking dumb i actually think the whole like uh andy needs food is dumb like i think that's 
all dumb. I actually think the one clever thing they do is say, well, fuck, we got to go over there anyway. Like, we need to get the guns. Like, we don't have enough bullets to get out of here. Like, so I actually think their reason for going over is less to save her, even though some people want to save her. Um, I just, I just think, yeah, like, the, you're right, though, Peter. Like, the third act, like, my dog! Your dog's <laughs> fucking fine. You just saw You saw it! Also, how did you get down so quickly? How did you make it? How did you get, take the car? Like, that's all fucking dumb as shit. But yeah. at least they're like, well, sure, yeah, we'll go save her. But, yeah, we need those guns. And there's enough of a distraction right now. It might be a good time. So we're an hour and 50 minutes into this. Do we want to uh, ask Bill what he thought of the movie? <laughs> no. Bill was just talking about stuff. <laughs> that's not why I'm uh, here. Bill was talking about that the... The way to make those RVs into they're not tanks RVs either. Should have taken the A team. Like fucking vans, <laughs> like what? They are not you... recreational vehicles. Mm. <laughs> um, I only see cars as acronyms. So, what acronym? Can I call them V? You could say a minibus. <laughs> Does that work? Minibus? An MB? Uh, no. I'm gonna say whatever letters come to my mind for the rest of the show. Uh. So, Bill, you saw this in 2004 with Peter um, in between probably weird masturbation sessions in the basement. Um, Possibly both of you, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You may have snuck down there, too, while you were visiting Peter's parents. Uh, (laughs) uh, Maybe while Peter was sleeping. Uh, You saw it then. You said it was right up your alley. What was the experience rewatching? Yeah, I enjoyed it just as much. I would say like some of it didn't hold up quite as well. Um, you know, certain cultural points, but um, other than that, I mean, it's awesome. I love it. I mean, I didn't overthink it. You don't have to like conveniently for me. It's not hard to ignore its predecessors or any comparison to them because I don't know have you ever, Have you ever seen the original so. Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead? I don't think Dead? so. I don't know if you'd like them. Maybe. Probably not. If they're too serious, I probably wouldn't. Um, Day of the Dead is super serious, but Dawn of the Dead is uh, pretty fun. Well, I might like that. It's pretty damn fun. I mean, but for me, this is like not a horror movie. You know, it's like an action movie with some gore earlier on in my journey. You guys have taken me along said I don't like horror movies or never really got into them. This wouldn't have been on the list. This is like, oh, man. It's like on TNT or TBS on a Saturday. I'd watch this all day long. Like, it's it's one of those where you can sit back and just enjoy the ride. I like that Peter's like, we, we need to include Bill more. And then the first thing Bill says based on that is, yeah, it's good. I didn't overthink it or anything. That's like, <laughs> like what? Sorry. If we didn't overthink things, Bill... We wouldn't have a fucking show. <laughs> we're two hours in, Bill. You clearly were thinking. I, I'm just here to, you know, call you guys out when you're you're getting a little bit too deep. Keep it simple. It's good. <laughs> um, I have one. I have one. Um, one qualm with the gun store plot. Um, other than the, you know, Nicole's rescue of the dog. I guess the second qualm. Um, they and that it wasn't it wasn't a, just an excuse to show your muscles when they went to the gun store. <laughs> <laughs> they are apparently talking over you know chalkboards and dry erase boards for weeks, uh, mm-hmm. like a month with this Andy guy, um, and then they don't explain how the bite infection thing works. 
Because he says over the radio or whatever, he says like, oh, thank God, it's great to hear your voice. I got bit, but I don't think it's going to be a big deal. <laughs> yeah, losing a lot of blood. It's going to be fine. Like, uh, really. Sorry. Um, so when I was when I was saying, you know, Rook to Q7 or whatever the fuck, I should have been telling you, uh, don't get bit ever at all. Uh, it's gonna be bad. Did I mention maybe that before everything else? Oh yeah, did they cue him in on the rest of the plan? <laughs> I think they were just like, eh, he'll figure it out when we start rolling up, right? If you're in a situation where you have to spend the bullet or or get bit, spend the bullet is what I would recommend. Uh, because if you get bit, even just a little sliver, you're gonna die. Actually, that's uh, I like the fact that, uh, you know, bites eventually kill you i actually don't like the fact that when they um kill the the church bus lady or some would say the church rv lady or as some other people would say different people the church suv lady um that they're like oh she got shot look she's not coming back like one of the one of the best like just from a thematic Romero thing uh, that I really like is that sure the bite will kill you but there's no more room left in hell motherfuckers like uh, when you die you're coming back as a zombie as under any circumstances you, you yeah. come back like even if you get your neck broken you're, you're chomping it, your fucking chomping head is gonna be chomping because that's the whole thing, right? Like, it's, I get that they're they're kind of making it um, a little more of a fast-acting virus, the 28 Days Later thing. But, like, I, that's actually when, when people say, like, oh, I don't like this because it's not close enough to Romero. The only thing I don't like from that perception of, like, how much it takes is that, yeah, 28 Days Later was a virus movie. It was a virus movie where it turned people into zombies. Like... The one they should have kept zombies as just like this almost unexplainable mystical force that starts, um, and I would have loved if they're like, okay, we shot her. If she had popped back up and they had to shoot her again, and just like silent looks at each other, like, oh fuck. So I guess it's just also if you just die. I, yeah, that would have been that would have been amazing. And I actually disagree with you on Twenty Eight Days Later. I think one of the strongest parts of Twenty Eight Days Later is that it's about like a failure of um, it, it, it's like a failure of our society to contain like a man a man a, born a poor response to a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm saying I'm saying like it works for Twenty Eight Days Later because that's oh, what yeah, it's yeah, about. Like you don't need to do that in your dawn. Of the, I agree. Like I'm yes. fine with the fast moving part. But you don't need to make that about um, a disease. I, I would have loved if she would have popped up. Because also, if you were trying to make it for some sort of like, we need to get this information to the audience now because eventually it will be important. It doesn't. It's, it's At no important. point does it come, does it come I, up again. It's drawing an arbitrary line in the sand. And all it does is make me yeah. nitpick technical details. I'd rather you not like say, oh, here's like the precise circumstances under which someone can get sick because then I'm yeah. just going to look for inconsistencies. Yeah. I'd rather it be and up to my imagination. Why not shoot her in the head at that point? Yeah. Like, if it's not going to play into the plot, just have have Mackay Pfeiffer dome her. Yeah. And then, Put her on as a skin and then, suit and try and get back with the other guys, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Feel it's just, yeah, it's never information that becomes relevant ever again. It's just a weird way to say, yeah, this is basically science, yeah. though. <laughs> like... And also, they have the awesome moment with the guy from the Dawn of the Dead where they, like, he's when he's watching the TV... I do love they have a few – they have three stars from the original Dawn of the Dead, but I love that where um, – Ken Perret. Our, like, 
yeah, our main character is like literally delivers the tagline from Dawn of the Dead, which we talked about in that episode. Like it's never spoken in the movie, but um, it has the best tagline of all time, I think is what we said when we recorded it, which is when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Yeah, so so I want to I want to actually stop right there because I'm I'm thinking about this now, and there is one theme in the movie, but it's established by Kyle Cooper, not by Zack Snyder or James Gunn. Wait, who's Kyle um, Cooper? And the, he's the guy who directed or directed the opening title sequence. Oh yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So so I guess uh, in a, in a sense, Zack Snyder also uh, establishes it with the uh, the TV preacher and the fact that like it's leaning into a modern vision of what religion is this sort of post evangelical religion um but also post evangelical in a post 9-11 world and like this yeah and uh the reason i say that is because the opening sequence the the title sorry the title sequence begins with um this concept of holy war um it begins with um muslims at prayer um, and then it launches into all of this shit happening around the world. When the man comes around is specifically a uh, revelations vision of the end of the world. Yeah. Um, and and most of the footage they're showing is from like post 9-11 bullshittery. Yes. Yes. And, it, and it's a movie that specifically took place uh, and was released in an environment where um, Afghanistan was roaring. Uh, the Iraq war had just gotten started the year before. And we're, we're like nine months after mission accomplished. Yes. And um, I love the idea of this movie being about holy war, a supernatural holy war um, uh, hitting us on, on home turf. That this being a movie about uh, the end of the world uh, hitting, you know, the crusade, the crusaders getting whiplash effect. Um the the american the the american imperialists so to speak going overseas and then that having a whiplash effect and helping trigger the Re- revelation style end of the world scenario and then having a supernatural zombie would feed into that um, and the fact that it's happening all around the world, seemingly all at once, and there's no real explanation. Yeah. There's no mention of virus, really, in the movie. Um, uh, besides just the, the the uh, like, hypothesizing that you see in the opening credits, which are, which happen- is some of the best parts of Romero's movies, too. Maybe it's aliens. Maybe it's this. And at the end of the day, they never, like, the only thing they can ever figure out is, who knows, but I guess shoot them in the head. And that's so, that's scarier in in like a general sense than than um than a virus or like rules to follow to avoid it and it just yeah it's i agree peter like that concept that's the whole thing is like she's at work she fucks her husband goes to sleep everything's f- fell apart I, I wish they took it further though like what's ty burrell's character name i can't even remember Steve. Steve. Like, I kind of wish they had someone where it's like... Sexy, sexy time. Yeah, absolutely. It it goes so far off the chain. It's not a holy war. It's just like we're all fucked, right? So then who chooses to try and go find some way to, you know, prolong the inevitable? I wish that someone had sat back and said, fuck it, I'm going to, you know, bury my sorrows in these few bottles of booze and try and, you know... 
they get really united really quickly well it's his boat end, in a way that like this movie it feels like this should be a two-part movie and it should be like one part should be about all the security guards and a couple conservatives from the church group becoming a mist style cult within this that decides that the, yeah. end of the world is happening and then a few people should do this go the steve route which is just hedonism it's the end of the world and then sarah polly's a fucking nurse whose whose entire life is triage um and it feels like there could have been a two-part dawn of the dead miniseries on tv that could have yeah been, like the first half of this movie and then an entirely different second. Like when they came up with the boat idea steve had it right his all like ah you guys are fucking idiots like but then for some reason he just inexplicably you know flip-flops and says yeah i'm on board i mean granted he didn't have to do any work but you know uh yeah i agree 100 percent because like the the stuff they instead spend time on is less of those moments and more of um uh fetch quests or like things yeah. they had to do for a video save game. point you got to get to the next save point it does make it a better action movie but it, it it comes at the cost of dramatic conflict with as aaron said a bunch of great actors ving rames Sarah that would have been good and like even like the baby thing which is so like like now that's actually one of the least compelling things about this movie i will say though Right, wrong, or otherwise, and when you look back on movies. In 2004, I loved that because, again, getting back to everything that was going on in movies, it felt like a, a statement. Uh, and I, I know that sounds lame saying, but it's like, no, no, no. Like, the the R-rated horror gross movies back. You've seen a bunch of gross shit throughout this movie. There's blood everywhere. Uh, people don't even – Sarah Polly forgets to change her shirt for, like, the first hour of this movie. Like – it's, it's going to be gross. But just to be clear, we're going to have a zombie baby. Like, we are taking that. Post-torture porn, it's eye-rolling and it's who cares. You're trying to push an envelope. But keep in mind, Saw comes out October 2004. Like, there's no hostile. There's no that. It felt like – it felt important. Well, it's also decent time. like as – dumb as, as dumb as it sounds now. It's a decent now, moral dilemma. It did too, feel right? important. Like, you've got your you know yeah. baby you want to save. He doesn't know whether or not it's going to be a zombie, right? And he – he he's forced to try and tie down a zombie to see you know how's this whole thing gonna work out i mean that that somewhat also, interesting but like the whole generator scene like in terms of like dumb. mission quests like it's stupid wasn't even that good of an action scene right i mean and then they have to use fire the, the only thing that's good about it is uh when they think they're fine with the dog um oh well the you know they would have went after chips. the dog great there's a great shot of the shadow zombies that are like moving so quickly that you're like oh yeah. fuck they're gonna be here literally in five seconds because uh that's great but then it also reminds you like why don't they use fire for like all sorts of things right if they've got like fuel for a generator and you know, the like other kind of stuff like well they do they they, they throw uh they two throw, propane uh, tanks the things that propane two. tanks yeah like <laughs> which uh that actually that's a great segue into uh Zack Snyder's directing touches here which is um he's specifically going for an action movie not a horror movie um while I do think the movie has consistent dread throughout and there's some great little moments like Matt Frewer's death where he slowly realizes like oh yeah I wanted to make sure we I meant. feel that's fine. so good I feel fine and then like they they quarantine him they have to argue about quarantining him then they quarantine him it's just more of the shit I wish there was more in the movie um, they quarantine him and then um, he they debate whether to kill him first. yeah like why don't we just kill him now 
And they ultimately lock him in the room with the cage with Ving Rings with a shotgun while he has to sit in a stool and wait to die. It's so good. It's Ving like Rings is also like the problem solver in this movie. Like him and Sarah Polly yeah. are just like the sin eaters in this movie. Like anytime people don't want to do something ugly, Sarah Polly and, and Ving Rings are like, all right, medical workers and uh, people of color are going to take care of this, I guess. <laughs> like... Uh, fucking white people. Yeah, that's that's part of the original Dawn of the Dead a little bit. And then Ving Rhames' character arc is sort of like, I'm just a tough guy, I'm out for myself, and then he slowly grows to be attached to the community, which is a standard arc, but Ving Rhames is a really fucking good actor, so... Quickly, uh, before we move past the Matt Fuhrer scene, I think that's so important because he sits in the stool, and Ving Rhames is standing there, and he starts to, like, say he's, you know, not feeling good. And then it cuts to everyone else in the mall, for a while and then you hear a scream and you hear a shot and it's the exact sort of restraint that makes that scene super powerful it also makes it seem a little bit out of place in the movie as a whole but it's telling like hey Zack Snyder that is one of the best scenes and like moods that you've directed and instead and he actors. decides it's all it's two actors in a room but 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 like not showing him his eyes turn not showing him do the jump up and then have to get shot for the cheap jump scare oh, of yeah, when I'm it happens i'm saying it's a two-man scene and he handles it very small very very small. he does it's but like that is i think when people say this is Zack snyder's best movie it's because he remembered that moments like that sometimes work better than the babies <laughs> the baby going ah! with its arms wide open and then Sarah Polly putting a gun to a baby's head. Like, that is sort of like, again, my, my wife going, oh, no, too far. <laughs> As opposed to like, that which is like just kind of sad and melancholy. And the thing that Zack Snyder literally stopped doing like his later movies or dislike his later movies, um, he stopped ever uh, being that like small and restraint and instead his only thing was like more <laughs> more <laughs> um and it's it's telling like i think he could have been a better director if someone would have said like yeah do your big moments because like the moment at he the also end became his own script writer so he started writing out those scenes <laughs> <laughs> yeah james gunn what i would have liked here is uh what if instead he slow-mo gets up off the thing and then the gun falls for a second. You see the gun by his foot because I like those because it's like, oh, it's on the ground. And my hands are up here. How am I going to get it? Uh, and then slowly, slowly gets it. Um, yeah, it's it's just you just can't help but wish there was just a little bit more of that in the movie. Or in all of Zack Snyder's career, <laughs> I would say afterwards. I would say the first half of the movie is more interesting and like gets my my brain kind of churning, and then the second half of the movie becomes sort of an empowerment fantasy. Which, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong here, folks, but making these zombies headshot zombies uh, is kind of stupid because absolutely nobody in this movie is tapping dome shots on the scale that they do in this movie. Uh, super dumb. Although I get it, it kind of. I, they, I they like treat, they treat they train real life cops to shoot for center of mass. They're not like they're not training them like American sniper. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of so. It's what then? Dumb. They get overrun like the first opportunity. <laughs> like 
<laughs> your movie kind of is over. Yeah, because like that's the thing about the 28 Days Later zombie is like I actually get connected with the scene because I'm like, yeah, because if you nail him in the arm, you could at least slow him down. These zombies don't give a shit until you hit a brain cap. <laughs> Like they well, they have the they have the one who doesn't have legs, like fucking skittering on the pipe. Yeah, <laughs> they don't the one care. Guy. He he was just hanging on the pipe, like I know my best shot. Like I he didn't jump on the pipe, so he's been hanging on that Which pipe. Begs the question: he's Why like, do you put is- barbed wire on your minibus? All it's going to do is like catch them. They're going to get caught on it. They don't feel pain. Put more weight it's on a, a weird it's, side it's of the not bus gonna... and make it. Oh, I don't know. Flip. <laughs> you know the other scene. Speaking of those buses, why do they need two? Uh, in case one crashes, in case there's a chainsaw accident. <laughs> All right, we know one of the, one of you dumb fucks is gonna rip that chainsaw Look, through one of the blonde women. And then we'll lose some car, more people so. trying going from one to the other. Uh, something that was like I think truly amazing when I saw this in 2004, and still like appropriated that level of scale this time is the part where you see the two buses surrounded by more zombies than can fit out of frame, like. Literally, probably a couple thousand with the implication that it's more. And you see that throughout. Like, the parking lot is just – that's the advantage of a – you know, backed by a studio. It's the advantage of special effects. Um, When when those buses are just surrounded, like, with no air between them by people and it kind of does a wide shot of it, that is – like – that's like, hey, Zack Snyder, that's a good big shot. And then you have the restrained shot. And that's how you make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, do figure that out more. Because that is that scale of it. I'm trying. Like, the only time it's come close, I think, is uh, at least from attempt to do the, even those moments of scale is. And Peter, correct me if I'm forgetting something. Feels like the 20, um, not the 28 days uh, later. Um, the, the World War Z movie, which is yeah. undone by the fact that uh, all the zombies look like complete fucking yeah. garbage. like worse than my PS4. The World War Z game is better than the movie, by the way. The World War Z oh, game. Oh, yeah. Game's great. Game is so fun and you actually get to take down those towers of people. Uh, but the movie looks kind of bad and also... Uh, was completely again the best version of these action zombie movies is Train to Busan. But yeah, what were you saying, Bill? But my favorite part of that specifically is when they finally fire or hit that propane tank, and you see that like shock wave yeah. go through that like wide. Oh yeah, I mean that's I mean, great that's, to me, and it, I feel like it's I can't put my finger on it, but it's been mimicked so many times. It's the first time I can remember seeing something quite like. The way that all those bodies just, you know, tidal wave backwards. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, and it's it's only barely undone by the CGI being sixteen years old. Barely, yeah. like I it still looks pretty, pretty good. good. For being yeah, so it old. is because uh, it still uses a lot of practical effects. Um, although I think you know Tom Savini has a has a great little scene on the news where he's like, I don't know, we're burning them. <laughs> like shoot him in the head, burn him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Tom, like I yeah, I know that. You see that guy? That guy just burnt. That's Todd. Uh-oh, like you got a twitcher. You got to shoot him. You got to burn him. Yeah, um, twitcher. But like, and then the guys, I, and then the guys sitting at home go like, "That's actually a great segue." Is like the guys going home like, "Yeah, twitcher." And then the 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 dumb guy, dumb security guy, uses the word twitcher like five minutes yeah. later. Like, I I love that. That's such a great characterization touch because you see how influent uh, influence this guy is by a 
figures of power and B, uh, the power of TV. Oh. The neon. I thought it was how dumb. Yeah, it's all- are, but you're right. <laughs> Yeah, because I think there is there is something there's some parts of this that resonate with sort of like Trump era, which is like these people who it's not necessarily that they're it's that they're willing to trust the news that they trust. Right. And they're willing to take that as as uh, scripture. And the fact that these guys are watching religious TV, they're watching their, you know, their local TV. And I like the idea of taking um, in the original movie, there are these rednecks having this big sort of party at some point. In this version, they make them into uh, sort of just like Midwest heartland uh, people who, you know, and I can I only say this because all three of us are from the Midwest. Um, These the, the sort of like uh, faux working class conservatives, <laughs> these these, pe- these like guys who are super, super into Trump, but I have absolutely no reckon reckoning on how bad Trump is for them. <laughs> So they're just like they worship these sort of power fantasies, these power. I like that he gets angry. I get angry. (laughs) Yeah, he's not mad about the response to the global pandemic. He's just happy that America figured its shit out. All you got to do is shoot him in the head and burn him. (laughs) He's like, look, you're a warrior. You're going to go to work if you die. You know, America, (laughs) you did you did good. There's an amazing little moment in the elevator where they're trying to convince them to get into the to the mall. And uh, at first, uh, Ving Rhames and Mackay Pfeiffer are talking and oh, yeah. uh, it doesn't convince them at all. Um, one of the, the security guys is one of the security guys calls uh, Mackay Pfeiffer. One of the security guys is named CJ. You probably recognize him as a uh, Doug Stamper from House of Cards if you watch that show. Um, and, and if you didn't, you won't recognize him um, myself. And uh, Mackay Pfeiffer uh, calls him Shaq, uh, but he seems a little intimidated by Ving Rhames because Ving Rhames is a, a mountain. Um, and then uh, the only reason they get into the mall is because Sarah Polly, as a white woman, kind of plays off their sympathies and a little bit of their horniness, um, which yeah. hopefully immediately, too. She back. says one thing. Yeah. And they're like, all right, get in. Yeah. Thankfully, that doesn't come back and they don't like try and take Sarah Polly or something. But it, it, it's it speaks to a Trump era thing, which is like um, uh, sort of white feminism that like white oh, yeah. women, white women are actually given more benefits from these racial systems but sometimes um, uh, sort of like white feminism doesn't recognize the intersectionality between you know um, how how these like white racists are going to step on everybody um, yeah and the other thing that, that it really like resonates in that that whole thing is that part as I mentioned where they're like yeah you know what when they see Tom Savini, they're like, America figures its shit out. And I do think that's been the – that that was something that I would have believed pre-Trump era. Like, because that's what our history books tell us. Like, not to get too deep into this, every single, like, whore of our – of the history that we're all, like, inundated with through elementary school to high school, especially in the public school system – um, it's probably even worse in the religious school system where Jesus also has a big part in it. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, Vietnam, big mistake. But America realized it was bad and got out. Oh, slavery. Yeah, there was definitely some squabbles over that. But America real like it's that thing of like America makes mistakes. America figures it out. That kind of like um, a, that um, America always eventually gets it right. Like we do trip. We get up. And um, the thing about the Trump era, I think, for even people that uh, whether you believe that or whether remember the feelings of that is like, yeah, 
you, the people that eventually have to get out of it are usually either pressured or there's like the Civil War wasn't like this. Like, well, some people just kind of disagreed and no one knew in the 1860s that slavery was wrong. Um, and eventually everyone agreed it was wrong. Like that, that doesn't have actually happen. And as we're in the middle, like we're recording this in May. In the middle of a fucking pandemic where America absolutely doesn't have its shit together because all the people that uh, the people in charge are fucking lackeys of a failed game show host. It's like, oh, maybe just the fact that it's a country doesn't doesn't mean that it's always going to get it right. And maybe uh, the way that we were taught history is less about like. Uh, a factual retelling of America as an individual that can learn and get better and more of like a uh, totally fucked up uh, uh, slanted version of nationalism we're taught. I love no I love I, lo- I love the fact that this movie and I hate the fact that this movie is relevant on that level years later because when I was watching it uh, in high school in uh, junior high and then high school, and just seeing it, I was like, okay, it's not going to nail the consumerism themes, but you know, it, it's a fun action movie. It is still fun, a fun action movie, as we were talking about. Um, I don't think that at the time I thought that there was much there at all, but James Gunn was clearly looking in the face of what conservative America was in the Bush years and seeing uh, a pretty ugly face. Um, so there's there's a there's actually a lot of. There's actually a lot of stuff here buried in the first half that's uh, quite lovely. That points to a direction that it doesn't go. It doesn't go in. I would love if this was a two-part HBO thing and the first half was like, you know, setting up all the pieces and the second half was like elaborating on the drama. It was expanding out the sort of power fantasy of these like uh, conservative security card guys. It was expanding out the sort of Holy War theme. It was maybe leading more into like what I actually, actually I talk about this all the time, but like the thing that I loved most about Game of Thrones is when they would establish a bunch of characters in season one or two, whatever. And then in season four, you would find two characters you never expected to share a room together. And then they have like two episodes to just learn each other. And, like, two characters that in any other show would have no business talking to each other for more than eight seconds. Um, Game of Thrones would be like, we're going to find the common humanity between um, this giant murder machine and this little child that's going to become a murder machine. Between this um, this little court, court this little, like, uh, court jester dash, uh, you know, information suck. Uh, and, uh, this, this dummy little soldier who's never talked to anybody, uh, you know, above a certain, uh, class in this society before. Like that, that sort of mixing and matching, um, of, of people from disparate backgrounds and making them mash together is what makes, uh, makes for great drama and makes for a great sort of statement on what the society, what the society is that we're looking at. And they could have had such a great uh, opportunity to, to do that with this movie. But um, instead of yeah. it just, it's, it's, cool it's, po- it's, po- it's possible that Zack Snyder uh, thought the, like America always gets its shit together was a sincere line. So he left it in the, in the movie <laughs> and then took out a bunch of the other, like James Gunn stuff that was a little subversive on America. He's like, Hey, James Gunn, great script. Uh, like the part, like, yeah, America, fuck yeah. Um, I took out some of your lines later in the movie that were a little bit pointing to America not being so good. Have you, I, I sang a book as a president, it's called The Fountainhead. <laughs> um, 
I recommend. I don't know. Give it a peek. Maybe it'll help with some of those ideas. Finish it over an evening. You know, you're fine. Now, I feel like CJ, the security guard. Oh, and if you like that, I have a longer read. (laughs) Same author. God. CJ, the security guard, all I was saying is he's like the arc that they could have taken it in either direction, right? Like, he starts off with like... Oh, America figures its shit out, all that stuff. But then, like, all of a sudden, he's the one who's like, "You wait, CJ doesn't want to go save the gun store owner. Like, that doesn't that doesn't mesh, right? CJ wants to save yeah. himself. That doesn't work. Like, shouldn't he just be some stupid hero for the sake of it? Shouldn't he go get guns and be all excited about saving Andy, the gun store owner? Like, he is the one to me that like has the most bizarre kind of." up and down of if you're trying to apply some theme that doesn't necessarily exist or some broader message it's like okay he's also a team player by the end of this movie like what is cj who is he like it doesn't really seem to make a ton of sense like it it is a weirdly it's a movie that begins with how fucked america is and how america is so crazy divided and america has has planted seeds in foreign ground that are going to come back and and poison us um and uh then the second half of the movie is about how americans can join together set their set their differences aside and uh and, and become as one so it's kind of an interesting movie because it starts as like a um it starts as a, a promise of uh, that it's going to hold America to task, not for consumerism, but for something actually much more interesting, which is America's sort of power fantasies. Um, and then the second half is like, well, power fantasies are fun. <laughs> yeah, and they, let's uh, try Billy, They are. They <laughs> are fun. They can be fun. But Bill, you're 100 percent right. Like that thing of like, he's like, hey, I just don't want to die. That's his only thing. I don't want to die. I'm in charge. It's my mall. And like, yeah, you're right, though, Bill. Like that shift to like, I guess being told about the sexual awakening of an old (laughs) organ player was enough for him to go. I guess I'll sacrifice myself for all of you. He shut up and took it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's a weird arc. But you're you're right. Maybe maybe the rewrites were uh, the second half and James Gunn. His voice is stronger in the first. But, Peter, I think it felt like you were approaching some final thoughts there. Sure am. I, I, think, kind of follow, I think we should final. follow that instinct. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the, the the film itself is very much uh, feels like it's tapping into the the post 9-11 anxiety. And for me, as like a, you know, a kid who's going through like a political awakening and very much trying to figure out like, how I felt about our place in the world and sort of challenging that like this movie very much captured and was very scary for me, particularly the first half was very scary for me as a 13 year old um, because it was sort of capturing all this anxiety that like had been planted in me um, from, you know, the moment that 9-11 happened. Um, And this movie felt like it was it was sort of um, trying to bottle that in a way that like felt like it was speaking directly to to me. and in a sense, it still does. Like, I, st- I felt some of those same sort of post 9-11 fears when the movie was opening and, and particularly during the opening credits. But the, this movie in, in 2020, this movie is in an awkward position. And it's actually in the same awkward position that Inconvenient Truth and Lethal Weapon and certain other movies are, which is when you are so in- influential and people have been able to uh, replicate your formula elsewhere and have been able to take a lot of your same thrills elsewhere, 
um, mm-hmm. it sometimes drains the original product of a lot of its lifeblood. So like 28 Days Later came first, did the, this drama a bit better. Um, 28 Weeks Later, nobody rewatches but me. Um, t- Train to Busan. 28 Weeks Later is great. 28 Weeks Later is really good. Um, it also is a movie about uh, sort of about foreign occupation and it's, it's an interesting yeah. movie. Um, Train to Busan is has the international cachet and the cool factor um, and it's better executed. It's, it's more recent. Um, the drama works more works better like I, I cried during Train to Busan I did not cry during Dawn of the Dead 2004 um, games like games like Left 4 Dead World War Z which I just told told everyone like World War Z is actually a really fun co-op game like co-op budget game too um, Nazi zombies um, they replicate the action thrills um, but they have no drama which is sort of appealing in some sense um, the level of commitment changes uh, Land of the Dead is the movie that came out the year later. That's like it has the Romero cachet, and and a lot of uh, horror nerds like me kind of prefer the imperfect weirdness of that to the action thrills you get here. Um, and then the DC versus Marvel debate. I don't really want to get into it too much, um, <laughs> but Zack Snyder becomes the hero. This and the actual quality of his movies becomes irrelevant to those folks as long as they get to rep their guy. Weirdly enough, Zack Snyder has become sort of a weird like conservative post. Um, and I think that, that that puts this movie into and all, all those put this movie into an awkward position in 2020. But I do think that it should be counted as one of the better remakes uh, ever done because it does not try and uh, simply replicate the original yeah. with slight tweaks like uh, Night of the Living Dead, Tom Savini's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't simply move it to a new culture in a different time. It actually moves it to a new culture in a different time and then sets up a different uh, genre. It sets it up in a different genre. It's with a different approach. The way it's approaching drama is is very different and much more modern. Um, and so for that, I feel like it gets to stand on its own two feet. It'll never be as good as the original movie, but it gets to stand on its own te- two feet because it's not standing on the shoulders of a giant. No, this is the approach to take with any remake, right? Like, hey, especially of a cla- like of a classic movie or even one that didn't work. Like, take the parts you need. Don't try to make the same movie because uh if if the same movie was great like dawn of the dead was you're never going to live up to it and if the same movie was bad well don't remake the bad movie like take the the good ideas from the bad movie and make a good one out of it like um so i do you're 100 right this is the way to approach any sort of remake take the things that interest you go from there also the part of this movie still super fun Probably be a while till I watch it again because it's not like something that it feels like you need to rewatch a lot. But um, the parts that hold up are the parts that are, you know, well-directed, action, fun, zombies attacking people that are holed up in a mall. All that works well. It's one of the best uh, premises that Dawn of the Dead came up with. It's been used so many other times or at least a dozen or so. Um, it's, a, it's a good setting. It's a It's a good action movie the parts that don't hold up i think that hold up the least of of this movie are the ones that were there to kind of make a statement about what kind of movie they were making in 2004 and while that stuff was kind of critical to a success and critical to me as a young horror or as a as a younger horror fan feeling like yes finally this is the type of horror movie i want to see um you know 
a lot of those statements through movies just don't hold up over time because that you don't need them anymore. So all that stuff that is just like, we're going to shoot a baby in the face. Like you were successful in your statement. And now we have hostile, which is like, we're going to rip a dick <laughs> off, shove it in someone's butt and bleed all over them from the bloody dick hole while someone masturbates. It's like, uh, all that stuff seems eye rolling at this point, And it takes away from the more interesting part of your movie that makes it still very watchable and very fun. So that's my take. Bill, why don't you take us Oh, home? yeah. Not to put any weight on my shoulders after you lead with, you know, ripping dicks off and shoving them in other people's rectums. It's a, um, diff- it's a different movie. <laughs> no, I think I've said my piece. I mean, I guess I like to always ask somewhat of a provocative question of each of you at the end of these things. I mean, I always... You know, especially high school, Bill was like, yeah, which, what would I do, right? Like, what would, which character would I be as simplistic as that would be? Um, and obviously, Aaron, before this, you already made the comparison that Ty Burrell probably should have been my favorite, um, at least the way. Yeah, I, I, I did text you the way that. I grew <laughs> up, uh, you know, and made those choices. But if, you know, this was the breakfast club, which way, which way do you guys go? And, and I guess I struggle. I'd like to think I'd be an Andy who just, sit back, have a good time until I died. But, you know, I might end up being the, you know, flip-flopping CJ. I mean, Aaron, I, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm pretty sure you're security guard one who who dies very quickly. And Peter, well, you know. <laughs> well, you think I'm the security guard, like the most dumb racist one? Uh, I said that just to get a rise out of you. I, I was about to, you know. Throw Peter under the bus as I, the uh, the church organist. Unfortunately, I'd probably be one of the least compelling characters of this movie, which is the Best Buy guy that I keep forgetting. You yeah, think I mean, you yeah, think you'd be the Best I, Buy guy? Because I would told yeah, because my I'd have, I'd be like because yeah, because I had kids, so I'd probably be like like I mean you're gonna I'm gonna get to this island and I'm gonna live out in happiness with these five random strangers. I mean, here's the thing: I have I have no real life skills, so I definitely would be helpful in shooting things. Uh, I would be maybe spray painting things and I, weirdly obsessed with the dog. I don't know. I, like I would probably be Jake Weber because like I feel like I would be yeah. able to recognize that other people are better leaders than me and then be able to just go. Yeah, yeah, those two, Ving Rhames, Sarah Pauly, they're pretty smart. Let me let me go with them. <laughs> and then just execute whatever plan they tell me to do. I feel like he tries to take the leadership role, though. Yeah, but he, like, is open for... He's not unreasonable. Like, in a lesser movie, he would have had a villain twist at the end, like... Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think instead his twist of, like, just being a uh, sad Best Buy employee with failed marriages and dead kids works better. Don't disagree. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I go one of two so, ways. I'm either building my truck to like for the sake of building the truck or I'm just going to sit back and probably have cocktails and say, have fun, you guys. I Bill, mean, I can see you building the truck, but being like, wait, take it out of here. <laughs> no. Yeah, guys, I'm not done. Uh, this is my this is my project. You know, the zombies are going to fuck up all the work I've been doing. <laughs> I, yeah, because I think, Bill, that you would you would uh, you would uh, wait until the liquor store was down to like two bottles and you go <laughs> and then you'd start building the yeah. you'd start building the, the killdozer. Like I've got a flying machine. <laughs> Which is really the direction they should have most gone. Mall, most malls don't have liquor stores in it, so I think Bill Day One would be like the girl running after the dog. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just just crashing Leroy a truck into a liquor store and going like, whiskey! Whiskey! 
those are my final uh, thoughts. Yeah, that's a good place to end. Bill, it's always fun having you on. You, I'm sure we'll have you back on again because you, you are the perfect guest. We can be relaxed and fun around you and you, you don't have that much to say. <laughs> uh, I don't challenge any of the serious thinking on this show. <laughs> Um, yeah, you're just a fun, you're a fun goofum around, dude. No, I love having you on. We got, uh, we're, we're completing the Scream Make Romero trilogy next week. <laughs> With the ones Peter? that people actually like, yeah. Um, we are. Yeah, the crazies. Yeah, the crazies. We're doing the crazies. It's got uh, the 2010 uh, remake. Timothy Oliphant in it, and I remember it being very good. I remember, yeah, I, I loved it. I actually saw it before the original crazies, and I remember thinking it was great. Um, I liked my it favorite... more than the original Crazies for a while, and then I saw the Crazies, uh, you know, a third or fourth time and a few years ago, and now it's nose to nose. So uh, I think this will be sort of a mental mental battle for me next, when I when I get to watch it. Yeah, uh, my favorite line from the from the remake is, "We dug crazies." <laughs> <laughs> we dug crazies together uh and then what are we doing together. uh oh yeah actually let's just do one at a time who the fuck knows yeah, yeah i don't know what we're doing uh, next um it's, it's a whole big month and we're recording it way early so yeah we're uh the crazies with lidsville returning guests from uh, i can't believe it's just last october last october feels like eight years ago thank you dawn of the dead type virus yeah um but yes uh we'll we'll well, I guess we won't see you then. You'll hear us then when the man <laughs> comes around. Comes around. Ooh, ah, ah. I- <laughs> <laughs> So at the end of at the end of Dawn of the Dead remake, they uh, they have the uh, sort of stinger ending where the whole crew gets murdered. Yeah. Um, I want to spend literally one minute talking about that and then put it in the back of the episode. That's a great idea. Um, so really, yeah. Quickly, so at the end of the movie, everyone dies in this sort of uh, hand after the credits. Uh, they yeah. use the Kyle Cooper effect where all the the the, the uh, end title sequence is all done. It's actually painted in real human blood, which is why Kyle Cooper uh, got paid the big bucks. Um, yeah, great so sequence. Great sequence. And the, so they they uh, they end up burying the true ending almost as a stinger, which I'm of two minds about. And I don't know which way you guys feel about this. On one hand, I'm like, that's really cool because it encourages people to stay through the credits. On the other hand, it feels like video game bullshit where you need to, like, do 10 side missions to get the true ending. Um, and, and, and in the MCU, I usually like stingers because nine times out of 10, it's like them eating shawarma and it's a cute little scene and it doesn't matter. But in this, it very much matters. So I think it works because it's actually not at the end of the credits. It happens throughout the credits and then it has full. So like you don't have to wait that long to realize there's more. And then the more instead of being some weird victory lap ends up being like, oh, yeah, that's right. The whole world's destroyed. Where are they going? In some ways, I think you could say that almost uh, literalizes the. Because, I mean, the end of the original Don Dan, they go off in the helicopter and they're like, we're going to go as far as you have fuel. And it's like, OK, but it's everywhere. So where are you going? So this kind of like like a, like it's less subtle, obviously, like a lot of this movie compared to the original Don Dan. But it, it takes that same idea. Like, great. You got on a boat. 
bad news. The whole world's been taken over by zombies. So I'm not sure where you think the boat's going to take you to safety. I'm, I'm so totally I, I like it. I think it's perfect. awesome. Although, you know, yeah. I thought it was kind of cheesy to say, I'm going to try and lock in like the character type of myself or the Bill Fox bro types and show boobs right in the beginning of the credits and be like, ooh, wow, I like where this is going. I'm going to watch all the credits. And then I get the ending where it's like everyone's dead. And I'm and I question why they crashed the boat into the dock. It's like really you knew you know you might want to have checked it out first well, they don't know they don't know how to land well, a boat yeah but Ty Burrell's dead either way uh, it seemed like kind of silly that they walked onto the beach and then died or walked onto the dock and then died in any event they were gonna die but I liked the hook of saying here's you know some Ty Burrell you know home video from his boat tune in and then you see everyone die also I just think it's yeah. fun to bury yeah. the the ending in the credits because fuck everyone else it, it is pretty cool though wow. it does kind of make it, it is kind of nihilistic in a way that I, I i it feels almost uncommitted like michael's suicide is like straight up michael getting bitten and sacrificing himself is like almost straight up a hollywood sort of ending like you know the the you know the the star cross lovers don't get to connect at the end um and it makes that entirely meaningless um and I, I, I would have been fine with them going off into the sunset, though this is obviously scarier. Um, I do. And yeah. I, I, some part of me, like some part of my inner troll does like the fact that the that they, you know, they they go through all this work and then it gets spat back in their face. And then they play the real get down with the sickness after making a joke of yeah, it earlier. Like all of yeah. that is funny to me. But also some part of me feels like it's a little for, for where I'm at in my life, like it feels uh, a little nihilistic. Um, yeah, like a lot of things, it felt super amazing in 2004 and I still have some level of respect for it. I, I mean, I like it better than a happy. But I guess like that again, that's the thing. It's literalizing the subtle like it's, it's making explicit the subtle. You bring it's up saying, the suicide, though, that I didn't like that at all. Like, he says, oh, I'm going to wait, you know, I'm going to watch the sunset, and they show it. Like, I didn't, like, why? Yep. What? Why did they actually show him? Put, you knew what he was going to do. Well, also, yeah, also, here's what I, Whether or not that bite would have turned yeah. him, I would have liked to have been kept guessing. Like, what's the point in him putting the gun to his head in front of the chick that he just fell in love with over however many indeterminate days? So, so I agree with you, like... Like waiting or like jump in the ocean, swim around a little like that idea. But I but I or just not show. I love that idea. I also like like, hey, I got to save you this pain, but I am going to shoot myself in the fucking head while you can see me clearly. You've just left yeah. the dock. Like, get out a little oh, further. A like, if you're going to save me to your yeah. sight. No, I hey, can't. It, <laughs> hey, hey, watch this, baby. <laughs> And it does it does tap into something that bothers me about the movie, which is like Zack Snyder's choices for sound design, like him choosing to do a full on gunshot to end the movie. As yeah, no like, gunshots better. Uh, no gunshots so much better. No gunshot or a low little pop, like a low, subtle little off in the distance pop. Like it would have been yeah. one of the two would have been more dramatically compelling. This is the least dramatically compelling version yeah. of it. Or be unsure if the sound you heard is the credits, like the you like time out with the first credit showing up as a and make it like yeah, not as clear a gunshot noise, and you have something more interesting. But yeah, that's it. Good night. Good night.
Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years Uh, we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) 